This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 47. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid, and I'm back, baby! Hey, welcome back, Sid. Yeah, it's good to be back. I missed being on the last episode. Was really busy, but I'm really happy to be back talking about manga news and all the cool new jump starts and one shots Weekly Shonen Jump has been running recently. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah, so we actually have like a, a normal amount of news to cover this time. Only four pages as opposed to upwards of ten. <laughs> What what was it like? We basically have 10 less pages of news than we covered uh, last time you were on the show. So that's nice. Um, And then, you know, just like you said, we're going to be covering just a whole bunch of miscellaneous stuff this episode, just catching up on all the jump starts and watch shots. And that's going to include uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, Ziga, and Noah's Notes, as well as um, new one shots from uh, Hiroshi Shibashi and Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro. So um, that'll be fun. But I think we should just get right on to the news. That's right. And we don't have a book scan list to start off the show with this week. Who'd have thunk? This is the first time in a while where we haven't had like a list to talk about at the top of the show. Instead, we've got some holdovers from last month that I saved for this episode because I want to talk about them. I called dibs on these. And you know why? It's because they were Rumiko Takahashi related news. And I, as Lum Ramayasha, obviously had to talk about anything related to Rumiko Takahashi, including the fact that she debuted a new one-shot last month called Futari no A, or otherwise known in English, Two People's House. It ran in last month's issue of Big Comic Original as part of her ongoing Room and Theater anthology series. And the premise of this one-shot was two men who live harmoniously together until a beautiful woman appears at their house and they start butting heads because of her. Sounds like a classic rom-com shenanigans from Takahashi. I always love reading her one-shots. Hopefully one day when they put out a new, like, combined graphic novel of her latest Rumi Theater one-shots, this can translate those, because it's been a while since they've translated one of those. I think it's been a while since they put out a graphic novel of her one-shots, even though she's been running them pretty frequently in various magazines. So I'd be looking forward to that. I always enjoy everything that Takahashi creates. I'm always excited whenever I hear that she's coming up with new stuff. And it seems that her next ongoing serialization might be coming pretty soon. Because in the combined May and June issue of the Sakuru Shupan Sakuru magazine... They noted that Rumiko Takahashi plans to begin a new work soon. Now, they don't give a definite date about when that will be, but it still confirms that Renee will not be her last work. She will come back with another serialization in Weekly Shonen Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that. Renee did not reach the highs of popularity that her previous works did, but with a new series, hopefully she can start fresh, get maybe a renaissance going and i'm hoping for that i'm looking forward to that i always enjoy reading her works i enjoyed renee a lot and you know whatever her new series will be i'm looking forward to that i'm hoping she veers in outside of like supernatural shonen comedy and might go back into more a slice of life grounded kind of setting like maison Koku, or maybe even back to shonen battle fantasy like inuyasha whatever she does i'm looking forward to it what i'm less looking forward to perhaps is 
Koji Seo's new manga that he's launching in June. And that might be surprising because I liked Fuka. I've mentioned that on the show before. But I kind of got sour towards the end of Fuka's run a little bit. I haven't finished Fuka yet, but there were some pretty low spots towards the end. Uh, the last chapter I read made me pretty upset. It was like the gay character confessed his love to a woman and was like, what? This came out of nowhere. You didn't imply he was bisexual. I didn't uh, get a sense that these two were romantically involved or like they had feelings for one another. What is this? You're just denying this character's sexuality or you're really writing it so that it's heteronormative. That made me upset, that made me mad, and so I haven't read the manga since that chapter, but I will finish it eventually. It's just that made me really upset. So that's why I'm not necessarily looking forward to Seo Kuji's next manga, just because I was burned pretty hard with that chapter, and also by how the the series had been going at that last string of chapters that I read. Mm, that, that sounds pretty weirdly upsetting. I'm Wow, okay. Yes, it was. I liked that guy too. He was he was cool. I was happy that there was like this openly gay character and you know, he's just part of the group and it was it was nice, but no, like I couldn't have that. Couldn't have given him a boyfriend. Nope, we can't have nice things. Yeah. No, we can't. Well, not necessarily, uh because Himoto Umarchan Senkaku Head is coming with a new manga series after Himoto Umarochan G ended recently. And Himoto Umarochan's a pretty funny series. I enjoyed it a lot. It gives some good laughs. It's got enjoyable characters. So I'm sure Senkaku Head's next manga will be pretty funny, pretty enjoyable, good feelsy time. Also someone who's created a really great thing and is coming back with a new series is the creator of Mushishi, Yuki Urushibara, who is launching a new manga in the June issue of Kodansha's Afternoon Magazine called Neko Ga Nishimuka, otherwise known in English as The Cat is Facing West, which will be about a world... Uh, where a mysterious phenomenon known as flow exists and it centers on two people and one cat who make a living dealing with it. So it seems like Mujishi in the sense that there is this spiritual supernatural phenomenon in the world and then it's about a person like interacting with it and then kind of how people interact with it. So that seems like very similar in feel to Mushishi and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of that and hopefully if it uh, gains traction we could see it over here. Mm, that would be nice. I mean, I'm personally I'm very mixed on Mushishi in that I respect it and I think it's good, but it's also I don't know. I've I've tried very hard to get into Mushishi and I feel terrible cuz I don't think I really love it as much as other people do, but I I like it enough to where I would really love to see uh, more work from uh, Urushibara in general, because, I mean, her art is amazing. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love Mushishi a lot. It's such a great atmospheric show, and, like, it's also such a really cool spiritual manga. It's got really great vibe and really great uh, ideas about how people interact with nature and their environment, and that kind of, like, synergy that relationship so i like those ideas a lot i'm interested to seeing what this next work will be about 
And also, a new thing coming out of something good is a Isle of Dogs manga drawn by Minotaro Mochizuki of Dragonhead fame. Kodansha's Morning Magazine will be serializing this starting from their 25th issue on May 24th, and it will be a three-chapter miniseries that will focus on another story based on the film. No further clarification about what that will be. Perhaps it'll be about Atari's relationship with Spots based on the preview image. Not entirely sure, but that's my guess based on the fact that Atari and Spots are in this preview image. Isle of Dogs is a really awesome film in terms of its visual aesthetic and like the entire feel of that film is really cool. I have some issues with its stories and like how it uses Japanese culture in certain areas. Yeah. But overall, you know, it was cool seeing it just as a piece of animation. It's like really cool. Uh, So, you know, I think that an actual like Japanese drawn manga based on it could be a lot of fun. Mm, Yeah, I had heard very mixed things about Isle of Dogs. So I'm I'm probably just going to end up renting it instead of seeing it in theaters, but I wouldn't mind checking it out for myself just to see what I think of it, especially since, you know, I I really loved, um, what was it, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I believe that's also a Wes Anderson film, right? Yes, it is. You know, he that was his first stop motion animated film, and now Isle of Dogs, nine years later, is the second. I definitely would say Isle of Dogs is way more visually outstanding than uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox in terms of, like, the set designs and the puppet designs. Like, it looks just so much more gorgeous, because I, I rewatched watched Fantastic Mr. Fox recently, and so, you know, after rewatching Fantastic Mr. Fox and, like, comparing it to Isle of Dogs, it was like, Wow, they really stepped up their game for all the dogs. It's just like to the next level. Like so in terms of like outstanding stop motion animation and like like what you can do with the medium to like really make it beautiful in a way that you can't really capture in other mediums like Isla Dogs, I think is really stellar. And yeah, so that's it for about like new things. That's coming up, like purely new things. But there's things that are coming back that are going to have new content made for them. Returning franchises like Maid-sama by Hiro Fujiwara. That's getting a new volume in August called Kaicho wa Maid-sama Marriage. Uh, It'll be out on August 3rd. It'll be bundled with a drama CD. It's basically going to collect... That new chapter of uh, of the manga that focused on the main character's life post-marriage. I've only had a little bit of experience with Maid-sama. I saw, like, the first few episodes of the anime. You know, there's, there's some elements in there that are not so great, but overall, I was enjoying it, I think. So I would definitely like to dig into it more properly in the future, revisit it in full. Yeah, I, I guess I better add that to the list of uh, shoujo manga we need to cover on the show at some point. 
Is it not already on the list? It it might be. I don't know. I haven't I haven't <laughs> checked on the list in a while. I'll I'll check it again a little later just to be sure. But I guess moving on to uh, more things getting continuations. Obviously, we've talked on the show about how Hiroyuki Take is coming back for more Shaman King, and it looks like the May issue of Shonen Magazine Edge from Kodansha uh, published a prologue of the new arc. And it's also revealed that uh, the actual new arc of Shaman King will be called Shaman King the Superstar and will launch in the magazine's June issue on May 17th. Uh, it looks like this prologue was made up of three chapters, uh, the first of which was called Anna the Third Generation Itako, the second being titled Death Zero from Flowers, as well as the third chapter called Great Buddha Zone. Um, so that's kind of interesting to see more uh, to see more Shaman King stuff. So hope, hopefully this will get some kind of uh, simul pub from uh, from Kodansha. I can't I can't imagine there isn't some interest. Yes, I mean hopefully Shaman King could get a licensed rescue, get republished by Kodansha, and we can get like the sequel series. That third chapter of these prologues is interesting because that's a clear reference to Takei's work before Shaman King boots his zone. So maybe he's tying in the two series. In general, it seems like these prologue chapters are like follow ups to aspects of like the previous shaman king things or like uh we've got a story about anna the main heroine and then we got the second one seems to have something to do with a character from shaman king flowers and this third thing is about butsu zone so that's pretty interesting that he's like following up on all the previous shaman king related stuff but yeah uh just in general yeah i agree i i, I hope i hope we could finally get a new english release of shaman king with the actual like constant bond ending um because that, that's that's pretty much the reason why i'm kind of holding on at the moment so i hope that happens sometime soon yeah i mean especially since they never published the constant bonds which has the complete ending mm, yeah if i'm gonna read shaman king i really don't want to go through that what's probably apparently a very like bs ending originally i know <laughs> i'm i i hear people didn't like that ending i don't really have any context for it i'm just kind of going well, it doesn't really saying. resolve anything it's just like a weird ending or like uh <laughs> so, so it, it, it just kind of stops it yeah it just stops like they don't have the final battle at all oh that's like that's... they're running towards the final battle oh that uh, that sounds happening. great <laughs> <laughs> hmm uh, moving on to sort of a follow up from uh, from last episode, we had talked about how um, Yukiru Sugisaki's uh, DN Angel was returning after uh, somewhat of a hiatus, which again, uh, as I said on the last episode, I didn't even know the series was on hiatus. I just assumed it was just long over, but apparently not, because the June issue of Katakawa's Monthly Asuka revealed that uh, DN Angel will return in the July issue on May 24th. And uh, so that's for, you know, for anyone still keeping up with DN Angel and is a fan. So that that's that's good. I, I really need to check this out because I also I think you probably listened to the episode, Sid. But uh, it just mm -hmm. I, I have this weird relationship with DN Angel where like one of my friends from high school who was not into anime at all and basically knew all like the big mainstream stuff like Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon and everything. This was like the one thing that he was really into that like I knew nothing about, so it's just kind of like okay, um, that seems interesting, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I need to check out the Angel sometime. Yeah, that's definitely something on the list for things we should read from the show at some point. <laughs> <laughs> huh. 
Uh, so speaking of returning series coming back from hiatuses, um, so Kodansha announced that basically uh, Adachi Toka's uh, Noragami manga uh, will be coming back in the July issue of uh, Monthly Shonen Magazine this June 6th. Apparently the manga went on in hiatus back in May 2017 uh, so that uh, one member of the Adachi Toka duo could recuperate from an unspecified illness. Um, so that's good. I know a lot of people really like Noragami. Noragami is also another thing that it's been really hard for me to get into because I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast. So I have a friend who is really into Noragami. And uh, she knows that I am a huge fan of Gintama as well. And she tried to sell me on the series by telling me, hey, you know, you should get into Noragami because it's like a watered down Gintama, which in retrospect is not a good way to get somebody into anything. Because it's yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, especially if you call it a watered down version of thing you like, why would you want to watch the watered down version of the thing you like if you already have like the better version, the non watered down version? I mean, I saw at least like. I think half of the first season and it, it just wasn't keeping my interest, but I also hear the season two is a lot better. So I don't know. I oh, would, yeah. I wasn't yeah. that, in, I wasn't that into Noragami in the first season. It was like, okay, like it's got some decent emotional arcs for like a UKA, but like, I'm not super engaged with it yet. But then the second season, you get like that Bishamon arc, then you get the arc after that. That season is like when it like really hits its stride. And it's like, wow, this is some heavy stuff. This is some awesome stuff. So mm. I mean, I, I can see what she was trying to say, though, because it does have like, similar like elements what with the, I guess, between both the main character of Noragami and Gintama. So I, I was initially kind of sour on it at first because of that, unfortunately. But I would like to maybe, I would like to try it again at some point. Yeah, I need to continue the manga past where the anime left off of. Because I did really enjoy that second season. And I was interested in seeing where the story would go after that. Huh, alright. So I'm not looking forward to this next piece of news because unfortunately... We have to talk about it because, just in case you may not know, back in November of 2017, uh, news had broke that uh, Nobuhiro Watsuki, the author of Aroni Kenshin, among other things, uh, had been arrested for possession of child pornography. And because of this, the Hokkaido arc of Aroni Kenshin that was uh, initially running in Jump Square had been put on hiatus because of that. Rightfully so. But uh, unfortunately, it seems that news has broken out that Ruini Kenshin Hokkaido Arc uh, will be resuming this June. We also mentioned on the podcast a couple episodes back that Watsuki had basically only been fined 200,000 yen, which is the equivalent of about $1,900 back in February. So, you know, he had already been kind of given a slap on the wrist, and that was already upsetting enough. But the fact that Basically, it's been less than six months, and this guy already has his series coming back to Jump Square. Yeah, needless to say, this is this is very upsetting. Apparently, the announcement also noted that uh, Watsuki is living a life of reflection and atonement, but that uh, Shueisha and Watsuki decided that continuing the manga th- to answer the desires of fans was a matter of duty. Boy. More like a matter of money. <sighs> I'm so upset about this. This news is disgusting, it is depressing, it is disturbing, it is dire, it is quite sad all around that Watsuki can come back with just a slap on the wrist in less than a year, return 
to serializing the series, despite the severity of the crime he committed. And it's just a really sad statement on the priorities of Shueisha and the manga industry in general. That rather than punish a pedophile, they would rather continue to make money off of a lucrative property that he has created and keep him employed to make that. They didn't have to hire back Watsky to continue this series. They could have cut him off and they could have just hired someone else. Uh, you know, it wouldn't have been like the same storytelling, but they could have done that, but they did not do that. No, instead, they have chosen to continue to employ Watsy. And the worst part is that they're making the excuse that it's because the fans want it. I think it is pretty sad that there are a lot of fans that I have seen who do want Watsky to continue this story with disregard for the fact that he's such an horrible person and criminal, but for it's not morally right it's not justifiable by any means that he can continue to suffer no consequences for what he has done and life just goes on. And now what? I don't know. I'm definitely very upset at the fans who, despite what he's done, you know, they don't care. They just want, they just want more Kenshin and that's all that matters to them. And honestly, I almost want to say those people, uh, those kind of people upset me even more. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to be a responsible, ethical consumer. You know, you make the choice of what kind of media you support and consume. You have the choice. You have the ability to not support media made by bad people, by criminals, and say, no, I'm not going to give these people money. This is not worth the exploitation of other people. This is not worth supporting people who have committed horrible crimes against you know, children, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to support that. But unfortunately, there are people who care more about consuming entertainment than they care about the exploitation of other people, even children. And uh, it's pretty disgusting. You know, you gotta, you gotta think about these things. You can't just passively enjoy entertainment like you could when you were a child and you didn't have the context for what you were consuming outside of like maybe knowing like who made it now that you know that the background now that you know the history and like oh this bad guy made this thing i liked but he's still a bad guy i can't support what he's doing when he hasn't been punished properly for doing that horrible thing You know, you're sending a wrong message to publishers that, hey, we as consumers do not care. We just want the content. So, of course, then the publishers are going to be like, oh, well, then if the consumers aren't going to make an uproar about this, then uh, we don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. There's our way in. We only care about making money, honestly. Uh, We don't really care about the moral thing is, you know, you got to think about these things as a consumer, you know, make a smart ethical decision as an adult. But. I guess most people would rather remain children and not uh, not think too hard about it, you know, not think about what they are saying by supporting the serialization of the series and buying like his manga still, you know, especially with a franchise like Kenshin that meant so much to kids to people when they were kids and stuff. I know that's like hard to like let go, but you know, you got to make the choice. You got to make a stand when you're an adult to say, you know what? This is just entertainment. It's, it doesn't 
define me as a person and I can live without it if it means that I'm not supporting the exploitation and suffering of other people, if I'm not supporting shadiness and criminals and all that. So you got to be smart. You got to be a good moral person. You got to be an adult. But uh, most people, most people would not want to be adults because uh, they just want to consume entertainment passively. It would have been one thing if like Watsky himself had come up with a statement like, Hey, I know this thing I did was wrong. And I want to maybe change myself and get help and maybe change my life from there and get help or some, I don't know, something. It would have been, it it would have been one thing if he had come out with a statement on his own. But the fact that basically Shueisha's like, oh yeah, he's, um, he's sorry. We're just gonna, and that's it. Like, they're just basically sweeping this under the rug. And it's really disgusting, honestly. Yeah, they're not sorry that Watsky's a pedophile. They're just sorry that, oh, sorry, fans. We're sorry we took this mug off on hiatus, but we're bringing it back so you can give us more moonies by buying John Square. And it's like, no, that's not what you should be, should be sorry for. You should be sorry that you committed a crime and uh, support the exploitation of children. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, Watsky has not made any effort to actually make amends for, you know, what he did. Uh, you know, he's not, he has not made any statements that he's gonna get help or anything, you know, it seems like, oh, they're just gonna sweep this under the rug and move on like nothing happened. The exact same thing is happening with this Channel Awesome debacle, you know, like, uh, they, they haven't apologized for how they've treated their employees or the contributors who worked under them. They're just like moving on as if nothing happened they didn't make any apologies they're just moving on well said that they sincerely regret uh, regret that you feel that way <laughs> Ugh. let's let i don't even can we can, let's talk about one bad thing at a time sid <laughs> oh no is there another bad thing to talk about is there something worse than this <sighs> sid don't 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 even don't even do this to me yeah i don't know Th- this all this all, this sucks all around and i don't know Really, at this point, I I would even be open to, like, you know, maybe at some point, if Watsky actually made a real attempt to apologize for what he's done, maybe, just maybe, I would think about, you know, supporting his work again. But that's, yeah, that, I mean, that is the only way I would ever read his work again, at all. Yeah, I mean, look, Watsky's fans, they want to, you know, forgive him, right? But, like... If you're, like, a ethical person, you can't forgive a guy who's not going to make amends for, you know, committing a terrible crime, especially, like, as horrible a crime as he committed, like, supporting the exploitation of children. But like, it, it would have been one thing if this were, like, say, and I know this has been a sort of a point of conversation here and there. When people talk about Watsky nowadays, they also bring up, you know, Shima Bukuro and his whole debacle back, you know, almost eight years ago, I want to say at this point, or it's it's been a while at least. Um, yeah, it's like two decades ago, pretty much, or like 15 years. Yeah, I'm obviously, I've said this on Twitter, and I'm, I'm not condoning his actions, because I'm, like, obviously what he did back in the day was wrong, too. But at least with that situation... He was gone for six years. They didn't. They didn't bring him back. Like you know, two months later, you know, like they, like his series got outright canceled because of that, and he didn't get a continuation. Uh, for um, I forget what the name of it is. Was it Seikimatsu Leader than Takashi? Yeah, like you know, that didn't get any continuation. He didn't get any kind of work, you know, until 
until Toriko, again, six years later. I'm not saying, you know, it completely justifies what he did, and I'm, I'm not saying you have to forgive him, but, like, at least he got some kind of punishment. At least he went through something. Watsky, in this case, I think, in, in comparison, is getting off, obviously, way too leniently, and, and I hate it. Yeah, I'm Shubibukuro was punished way harder than Watsky, even though the crime he committed is just as bad, you know, if not worse. So at least punish Watsky as much as Shimabukuro. Preferably not have him return like Shimabukuro did, but like at the same time, like they couldn't even do the benefit of not giving him work for a few years. I mean, to be fair, like Shimabukuro didn't completely not have work between 2002 and the beginning Torko in 2008. He did do other manga but like that was still two years later so you know two years is better than like less than a year yeah and again i just want to stress that is not condoning his actions i'm just saying i wish i wish at least watsky got that level of punishment but we didn't even get that yeah but anyway i think we should just move on from this piece of news but we'll obviously keep you guys updated as this story possibly moves further but for now it it's terrible and i hate it yeah it'd be nice if like Fans in Japan protested this and said, no, we're not going to support Jump Square if Watsky comes back. But sadly, I don't think that will happen. And even if someone does arrange that effort, like, I bet it'll be so negligible that they'll ignore it. It'll be just like with Channel Awesome. You know, they lost 60,000 subscribers, but yeah, we still have a million, so uh, we don't care. So it's going to be, <laughs> it's sad. Well, that news is distressing. So, like, that's pretty much... A pretty low point in this, so let's uh pick it back up. Well, I don't know if this will really be a pickup, but uh, it's not really bad news at all. I mean, it's uh, Monkey Adventures in bad. It ended, and the 18 and 19 volumes later for July. Uh, yeah, Monkey Adventures in bad was a pretty cool spinoff of Monkey that was focused on Sinbad's journey to become king. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it seems that yeah, it's over now. Uh, so definitely looking forward to maybe catching back up on that. Hopefully one day it'll get licensed. I'm kind of surprised that Viz hasn't licensed it yet, but... Hmm. Yeah, because I'm assuming Magi's doing at least okay for them. Yeah, I mean, they're still publishing it at a rate of four volumes a month, so it probably isn't doing too bad. Hmm. I mean, not four volumes a month. Four volumes a year. You know, that's pretty, <laughs> four, pretty Four volumes a month? Wow. <laughs> no, this is not, this is not one, this isn't one piece of Naruto catch-up levels, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so, you know, that's pretty standard, so I'm sure it's selling just fine. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see Mangi Adventures in Bad Manga in English, because it's a pretty cool story. Mm, I've heard good things about it. But I guess just moving on, we actually have some uh, some novel news to cover. A um, mm-hmm. lot of lot of series getting uh, getting some novel adaptations, and the first one coming from Shueisha is a novelization of the Promised Neverland, uh, specifically titled "The Promised Neverland: A Letter from Norman," which will be penned by Nanao and is slated to be shipped on June fourth. And uh, essentially, skip ahead if you don't want any spoilers on The Promised Neverland. The novel will be centering on Norman's memories of Emma and the other kids at Gracefield House as he writes his letter to them on the day he leaves. So I guess it's uh, I guess it's just a little like self-reflection on his part, you know, uh, before the point in the story where like he leaves the orphanage. So I guess that could be kind of interesting. Yeah, it focuses on like their past before discovering the secret of the farm. Hmm. Like, that could be fun. There could be some fun stories. 
there. It'll be interesting to see if um, Viz picks this up or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if they don't, like, there's always a chance that another publisher would, because... Maybe. I mean, uh, Kodansha didn't pick up the Seven Deadly Sins novel, but Vertical did. Uh, Same thing for Seraph at the end. Viz didn't pick up those novels, but Vertical did, so... Mm, Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm assuming those, like... You know, those kinds of novels probably have, like, separate licenses, obviously, so... Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if that comes out. I can't, I can't imagine there wouldn't be at least some interest in that, but I guess we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. And then Hoshinengi is also getting a novel in terms of jump series that are also getting new novels. And it's getting a novel by the author of the Psychopaths novels, Ryo Yoshigami. Hmm, okay. There we go. The... Title of this new novel adaptation of Hoshinengi is called uh, To the Pat with No Guide, which is the same subtitle as the final volume of the manga. Hmm. And so this might be a novel adaptation of the manga itself, or at least maybe the final arc of the manga. Hmm. We don't have any further clarification, but I would reckon that to be the case. Hmm, that's interesting that assuming it is like a specific like novelization of like the final arc or the last volume that's a that's an interesting i guess that's a that's an interesting like a uh, choice to that that's an interesting choice of material to make a make a novel out of i guess mm-hmm. also getting a novel soon is baki that is getting a serialized novel by baku yumekura who you might know as uh, the writer of the Chimera novels, which Mamoru Oshii is going to be adapting a anime film adaptation for. And so this new serialized novel will be running in Weekly Shonen Champion, starting from the magazine's 25th issue on May 17th. And it is called Yuenchi Bakigaiden, or known in English as Amusement Park Baki Side Story. We don't have any clarification about what the premise of this side story will be, but... It's a Baki novel, and that can be interesting to read, since especially since it's being written by such a high-profile author as Bakuyume Makara. Mm. So I guess just moving on to the next thing. So Goblin Slayer uh, will be getting a new manga adaptation, uh, which was announced in the fifth issue of Square Enix's monthly Big Gangan magazine. And it looks like uh, the manga will be called Goblin Slayer Brand New Day, and uh, that will be launching in... Uh, the next issue on May 25th, and uh, the the, uh, the manga in question is an adaptation of the original novels, beginning with the fourth volume, and uh, this new series will be drawn by Masahiro Ikeno. And uh, for those who may not know anything about Goblin Slayer, the series centers on a man who desires to become an adventurer, but insists on only killing goblins. So it looks like to be a sort of like dark fantasy kind of thing, which, you know, if this were picked up, I wouldn't mind reading it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard the content can be a little extreme mm-hmm. in terms of sexual violence in particular. So, I mean, I've, re- I've read Berserk, so I'm pretty much ready for anything. <laughs> yeah, depending on uh, how how tasteful it is, or at least like the tone of the series. Like if it's like done in the name of exploitation or if it's done for a purpose. Oh, man, if, it, if it's if it's any more graphic than Berserk, then God help us all. <laughs> yeah, but it's all about the context. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. You know, I've definitely heard this name around a lot, so hmm. I'd be interested in giving it a try one of these days. Yeah, me, me too. 
And our final piece of serialization news is an update on Tikitska Mix Magazine, which we talked about a few shows ago. And unfortunately, the launch for the Tikitska Mix Magazine has been postponed because a production, advancement circumstances, and there is no guaranteed date about when it will begin serializing, but... Uh, readers are encouraged to just check the website for future news regarding the project, but unfortunately, the website is not active anymore, so who knows what's going on with this. I mean, I hope this project is still happening, but uh seems something's going on that's holding it up. Tezuka's stuff just can't seem to get a break lately, unfortunately. Unfortunately, no. Ugh. Uh, but uh, anyway, so with with uh, serialization news out of the way, we're just going to move on to licensing news, which, you know, th- thankfully, there's not a lot to cover this episode. So that- Yeah, Seven Seas <laughs> is taking a break. The tide has receded, <laughs> thankfully. I'm sure that'll mean that when it returns, it'll be so humongous a wave, it'll drown us all over again. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it'll... We'll, we'll, For we'll- now, we've got, to, we've got the benefit of the low tide. We, we're not going to get flooded today. Yeah, when it comes back, we're going to end up spending an hour just talking about Seven Seas books. I'm sure that'll happen. <laughs> um, but uh, this first piece of licensing news comes from Dark Horse, actually. And I think we're both very excited about this one, as, as, um, as with everybody, because Dark Horse Comics has announced that they have licensed and will release one's Mob Psycho 100 manga in English... And the first volume of that will be coming out on October 24th. And I'm excited because I want to read the manga for Bob Psycho. Yeah, it's really cool that this is finally coming out. I'm surprised that, you know, it hadn't been picked up sooner by Viz or by anyone. But it's great that it's finally coming out now. I'm sure it'll do really well because Mob Psycho is really popular. One is like really, really beloved. So it's going to be a lot of fun reading this. Mm, I can't help but imagine it was because of the popularity of the anime that publishers have been kind of looking into it like, oh, maybe maybe we could maybe pick this up. Yeah, I'm surprised Dark Horse of all people picked this up. But, you know, I'm, I'm just glad it got picked up because I remember remember at one point we talked about on the show about how um, I think Mob Psycho 100 was on like a list of like the most sought after like licenses or something like that. Or most mm-hmm. wanted, something like that. That was a little while ago. Um, so I'm glad this has been finally picked up. Um, hopefully, with you know season two on the horizon, it'll just it'll just help boost its sales even more. I definitely can't wait to to read it. I've never I've never actually read anything drawn by one. I think I may have seen like bits and pieces of the original One Punch Man web comic. So I'm actually excited that I get to see his work, you know, for the first time yeah. licensed in English. So that'll be fun. I know Wheelord has read both. Uh, Mob Psycho and the original version of uh, One Punch Man one is drawn and likes them both so Hmm. yeah I'm looking forward to seeing like one's work unfiltered being released for the first time I mean maybe one day we'll get the uh, original webcomic version of One Punch Man too but who knows is that published in any kind of like physical format in Japan at all I don't think so but I'm sure they could arrange for it to be at some point or at the very least maybe have like maybe have like a website dedicated to like an official English translation of the webcomic I think that would be kind of cool 
And that, that would probably be easier to do than to, like, actually put it in Tonkopon form or whatever. Uh, but moving on to some more licensing news, uh, we have five new digital first manga licenses from Kodansha Comics uh, that are all going to be coming out this May. And we're just going to go over them one by one here. So our first title is called uh, Beware the Kabiki Brothers from Yuji Onda. Uh, that'll be debuting on May 1st. And our... Uh, just to read the story summary real quick. Uh, high school freshman Iroha's life is about to change. Her mother just got remarried and they're both moving in with their new partner and his sons. The other son is really hot. <laughs> <laughs> but he's far from normal ellipses and together with his cute younger brother she's now stuck with them both morning noon and night the mean elder brother and iraha just can't see eye to eye and as the distance between all three of them decreases cohabitation has never been so heart-poundingly exciting so that sounds that sounds like a thing <laughs> Yep, reverse harem incest. Ooh. Oh boy, yay, my favorite. <laughs> um, let's see, our next title coming up is uh, Heaven's Design Team uh, with the story by Habizo and Suta Suzuki with art by Tarako, which will be debuting on May 8th. And let's see. So in Heaven's Animal Design Department, designers create a variety of new animals daily while contending with the unreasonable request of their client, God. Uh, funny, interesting, and full of useful information, this series answers questions such as, Why can't unicorns exist? What makes an animal taste delicious? What's the most powerful creature in the ocean? And bird versus snake, who would win on the next death battle? <laughs> you won't believe it's a manga series when you read up on the featured animals in the included encyclopedia entries. So yeah, this this looks like it could be kind of fun. I would I would read this. Yeah, this seems really charming. Uh, it seems to be kind of like the same kind of like edutainment manga that like sells at work is kind of. Yeah, I'm kind. I'm strangely all for edutainment type manga as long as it's done interestingly and and is actually engaging to read. Um, which this this seems like it could be pretty fun. I would check this out. Mm. Next up on the list is The Wizard and His Fairy from Chisato Nesumi, debuting on May 15th. Uh, deep in the forest in a tower shrouded in mist, there lives a reclusive wizard by the name of Nebelhalt. Hot. I think I said that right. I don't know. When he happens across a beautiful fairy who's being held captive and made a public spectacle, he knows he has to take her with him. He names the creature Stai, or Stee, and orders her to call him his master, but her heart remains close to him. But as time goes on, she sees a different side of him, a side that's both caring and awkward. The distance between the eccentric wizard and strong-willed fairy grows shorter day by day, so it's like a Beauty and the Beast, Agent Magus Bride kind of thing, maybe. That's what it sounds like yeah. to me. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what my mind immediately left to, too. I mean, hopefully it's kind of like Agent Magus Bride, where it's like, oh, this sounds like a weird skeevy premise, but it's like, oh, it's actually kind of charming. But I mean, you never know. I'm hoping it just isn't too derivative of it. I mean, Mahotsuka's right in the title. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next up, we have Can You Just Die, My Darling? Uh, with story by uh, Majiro Kaname and art by Soso Saka... Soso Sakaki Bara, uh, debuting on May 22nd. And uh, this one's pretty short. Um, it is the hit dark manga thriller of murder, love, and delusion. So just judging by the cover, it it, it looks pretty... I don't know. I, I guess I would read it. There's not there's not really much to go on with this one, unfortunately. Hopefully it's interesting. I like the title a lot. I mean, the title like really makes you think, oh, why does uh, this, this couple want each other to die? Hmm... hmm. I don't know. Eh, I would at least read the first volume. And uh, let's see. Last but not least, we have A Kiss 
for real. Uh, from author Fumie Akuta, debuting on May 29th. Again, another short summary here. Kodansha describes it as a sweet but sadistic high school romance manga about a mask-wearing girl and a free-spirited boy. So... Already, just from the short synopsis we have alone, or the description, I guess, it I can't help but think Fifty Shades of Grey, but it's probably not going to be anything like that, or at least it's probably going to be written better. I don't know. It's That's a very low bar uh, there. Uh, I, <laughs> I think that's quite a leap to make from <laughs> this simple description. There's nothing that implies uh, BDSM at all. Mm, I don't know. I guess I saw sadistic and just... My mind went places. I don't know. But I don't know. It, they could it, just play mean jokes on each other. <laughs> that could be what they mean. <laughs> no, it's either one extreme or the other. But okay, no, that makes more sense. It's probably something like a Takagi-kun or something where it's like, oh, these these two are constantly, uh, you know, uh, teasing each other or whatever. And it's kind of cute, I guess. Something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like uh, Kodansha Comics posted the first chapters of everything. So, you know, I guess there are free previews of that if you want to preview these series before they are released for purchase, I guess. Um, so those are those are some interesting titles, some more interesting than others. I think the one out of the five I would definitely read the most would be Heaven's Design Team. And again, with uh, Can You Just Die, My Darling kind of coming in second there. I think those are the two I'm probably the most interested in. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you. Like Heaven's Design Team being at the tip top because the summary is just so interesting. They really got it down to the, oh, that's an interesting premise. And then the cover art is also really cute and fun. And then Can You Just Die, My Darling, like they kept it pretty simple and mysterious in terms of the plot summary. But the title alone is intriguing enough. In terms of, ooh, in, what is going on here? What What's happening in this cover? Why are there dead bodies? Uh, why do this couple want to kill each other? Mm-hmm. So those are the two I probably want to check out most for sure. All right. That, that about does it for licensing news. And so now we move on to industry news. And boy, we have a real big story to talk about this episode. A story that basically developed over the course of April in several steps. And it is quite the dense tale to tell about the Japanese government's plan to ask net providers to block unauthorized manga sites or manga piracy sites. So the story began on April 6th when the Manichi Shimbun newspaper reported that the government was going to ask internet providers in Japan to block uh, manga sites that upload manga, magazines, and other content and make them available for viewing without, you know, permission from the copyright holders like piracy sites. Uh, They were also going to hold an anti-crime meeting within that month with an official announcement to come out of that also shortly after that meeting. And they specified in their report that they were targeting three pirate sites in particular. Mangamura, AniTube, and Mio Mio. Two of which were supposedly operated from China and other countries. And they were targeting these sites because they saw an increase in traffic last August when they became more well-known, while simultaneously the sales of digital comics in Japan dropped that same month despite being on a steady rise since 2012. And Japan's Content Overseas Distribution Association, otherwise known by acronym of CODA, told the government that between 
between September 2017 and February 2018, piracy inflicted an estimated amount of more than 400 billion yen, which is equivalent to about 3.72 billion worth of damage to copyright holders in Japan. 3.72 billion in US dollars. That is a hefty sum. Yup. So it makes sense why they were going after these three in particular, because of the correlation between their rise and the fall in sales of digital comics. And they were also at the same time considering a law against elite sites, which are sites that aggregate and provide links to their sites that host pirated content. Now, it's important to note for later, as the story goes on, that... At the time, the Manichi Shimbun noted that there's no legal precedent for asking providers to block access to websites and that the move might be unconstitutional because it violates the privacy of communication and could be considered censorship, which would violate Article 21 of the Japanese Constitution. Uh, But the government made the argument that pirated content harms publishers and content creators and so side blocking would be allowed under the Adverting Present Danger article of the Japan's Penal Code. So there was an argument that this would be unconstitutional, but the government had this argument, no, this is allowed under our, the Penal Code. So shortly afterwards, on, well, not shortly afterwards, but like on Tuesday, April 18th, uh, about two weeks afterwards, Mangamura actually did become inaccessible. But supposedly it was not due to the fact that the government had asked ISPs to block it. The Asahi Shimbun reported that the site did not shut down because of site blocking, but because it was voluntarily shut down by its own administrators, noting that the server where the site's images were stored were also inaccessible, and that action could not be performed anyone by anyone besides the site administrators themselves. Hmm. So this was a coincidence that Mangamura shut down, but it was a curious coincidence in light of the fact that it was one of the three sites that the government named they were targeting. Then on April 23rd, NTT, which is one of Japan's uh, leading ISPs, known in full as the Nippon Telegraph and Telephone Corporation, they announced that they will begin blocking those three websites as a short-term emergency measure after preparations are complete, and they will continue the measure until the Japanese government is able to establish their legislation regarding site blocking. So the NTT took initiative without, like, the government, you know, strictly enforcing or telling them they needed to block these sites. The NTT took initiative to say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and block these three sites as a preventative measure, you know, you know, before the law is even passed. So they did that, and this might have been the the result of uh, the meeting that was held on April 13th, so five days before Mangamura became inaccessible, where uh, content industry representatives and the members of Japanese cabinet, which were responsible for intellectual property policies and crime counter measures, you know, they met, and that at that meeting, the government officially asked providers to block the pirated websites on the 13th, but, you know, it was just a request to voluntarily block access because there's no legislation to enforce that yet. So it's just like honor policy. You know, we would like you to block access, but we're not going to, we don't have like the legal, you know, uh, policies in place to like enforce or punish you if you 
do or don't. Uh, but they said at that meeting that they were going to create new legislation in 2019 to expand the scope of site blocking. So the law is in progress, but it is not there yet. Currently, they're legit existing Japanese site blocking law is only applicable to child pornography sites but not piracy sites so there's probably a lot of you know uh, bureaucracy that's going to go in to expand the bill to include the piracy sites but while the NTT you know made this preventative measure you know as a result of presumably as a result of that meeting you know to go ahead on and follow the request even though they weren't legally obligated to to block the piracy sites uh, on the 26th a Saitama prefecture law filed a case against the NTT for blocking those sites claiming that their action was a violation of the Telecommunications Business Act because it constitutes a violation of privacy of communication because the action implicitly implies that the NTT is aware of the content that its users access and under Article 3, Chapter 1 of the Telecommunication Business Acts, no communications being handled by a telecommunications carrier shall be censored, while Article 4 states that the secrecy of communications being handled by a telecommunications carrier shall not be violated. So the legalese here is that the plaintiff, Yuichi Nakazawa, the lawyer who is like going to town on the NTT here, he's saying that because the NTT is blocking these piracy sites knowing that these are piracy sites and that their users are going to these piracy sites to consume the specific content that is a violation of the Telecommunications Act because they know what content their users are viewing. Which, to me, seems like a flawed argument because, like, say I go to, you know, Anime News Network. What am I going there for? To read anime news. So, like, that seems obvious that I'd be going there for that purpose. That's what the site is for. But like with a piracy site, you know, they don't own any of that content still. And so, you know, it's obvious that when you go to a piracy site, yeah, you're going there to read pirated manga. But does that content have the right to be there? Is it legal to be there? So to me, the uh, this lawyer has caught NTT with legalese that is like technically true, but also is a bit of a flawed premise because... Yeah, I mean, it should be obvious that the users who are going to these sites are going to these sites for that purpose. And even, like, how would they not know that, you know, as an internet provider? <laughs> like, they obviously would be aware of, like, what these sites are for. You don't have to do any snooping or spying or invade personal privacy to know that. It's just, like, that's what the site is. Like, so th- there's no violation of rights, in my opinion, in terms of blocking access to these sites. But, you know, the law is complicated and you can, like, read into it and make a case for any means... But this is a whole argument that the right to access these piracy sites, you know, is a matter of free speech and expression and press and like blocking them is a means of censorship, a means of blocking communication. So it's a complicated issue that has to tie in the law and whether like piracy sites should be permissible as like a thing that people should use like without censorship or like they are valid as a place where people can communicate with each other so 
you know, site blocking. It's like Takasawa's case is also stating that site blocking is not stipulated in NTD's internet connection contract. So this might violate their own contracts that they have with their, you know, customers. So who knows what will come out of this, whether this lawyer has a can make the case an argument against the NTT that this is unconstitutional. If he's able to make the case and that is acknowledged by Japanese courts, that could be a real bad sign for preventing access to Japanese piracy sites and could propagate piracy sites as like a legitimate place for users to go to consume content because it's not technically unconstitutional to visit those sites. So... It's a very complicated story in terms of like what the law means and how to work under the law and like how how this will turn out. So I'm curious to see how the story will continue to develop because this is not over. But so much has already happened within this month. And uh, I think this is going to be a really important case in the whole ongoing fight against manga piracy in japan yeah sid thank you so much for covering that news because a lot of that honestly kind of went over my head but i (laughs) uh, but um but yeah obviously it's not a one and done thing not exactly well i don't want to say it's not black and white but like because you know personally i believe that you know it's a good thing that uh the japanese government is actually doing something to prevent the access of these illegal manga sites but i guess you know with all the points you brought up and uh what this lawyer is uh fighting against and you know considering what i guess his views on the situation are it's it's definitely an interesting viewpoint he's taking but yeah, I don't think I really necessarily agree with him. Um, and yeah, I I really want to see how this um, I guess how the, how this all kind of resolves itself. Hopefully, hopefully this hopefully there's a win in the future for actually combating uh, pirated manga sites. Yeah, hopefully, but it's a complicated situation, and who knows where the courts will go with this. Mm, yeah. So uh, for this next news piece, I think it should. I think we should probably put a graphic content warning, not to give it away too soon. But this is unfortunately another story involving uh, child pornography. Unfortunately, this one uh, has a few more graphic details than uh, what we have talked about with Watsky. So if you don't want to listen to this story and you don't want to hear us talk about the details, again, there are time codes in the description for the podcast as we include with every episode. Uh, so definitely uh, keep those handy on you if you want to maybe skip this story. But uh, just to get on with it so uh gerard jones who is a author and comics writer perhaps known for his uh for his uh 2004 book men of tomorrow and also has done some work translating and localizing the uh english script for uh the dragon ball manga for viz i guess first was arrested on december 29 2016 after a police investigation and search of his home in san francisco allegedly uncovered electronic devices storing more than 600 images and videos depicting child pornography so so this story is a bit old at this point i should probably should have started off with this but uh so that was so that was when this arrest took place and essentially at first he uh he pled not guilty but unfortunately, you know, in the time this had, this had happened, you know, more details had come to light, basically with um, authorities claiming that uh, Jones had uploaded some videos to YouTube depicting uh, depicting a child performing sexual acts on an adult, while a video allegedly found in his home was said to show children as young as one year old. 
What the fuck? Yeah. So, like I said, uh, Jones initially pleaded not guilty as early as uh, 2017 and was released on a $250,000 bond with a home monitor curfew with a home monitor curfew from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. And so essentially about a month ago, uh, he he basically pleaded guilty. And I mean, honestly, with all this terrible shit coming to light, like I... I don't see why you wouldn't. And yeah, so this is obviously really disgusting. Um, I should have left when you did that content warning because this makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, there there was a reason I um, I said that in the beginning. Um, so yeah, I I mean, what else really needs to be said? Um, I'm sorry. Like I, I actually, I actually need a moment to kind of recover from that because obviously that is really upsetting to hear, and um, I don't really know where to kind of go from there. But I guess, um, really, I guess now that I mean, obviously this guy is going to prison, but I guess really the question I'm wondering, which I want to state, is not the is is not e- like the first immediate thing to come to mind because obviously I cannot state how much I how terrible I feel for the victims involved in this in this t- really terrible shit. Um, but I had mentioned earlier that uh, this guy had was basically I don't have any Dragon Ball volumes on me at the moment, unfortunately. So I can't, I can't, I can't confirm for sure whether he is responsible for the entirety of the localization for Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z for Viz. But, uh, but I'm assuming he's done work for most of that series. So obviously with this guy's incredibly disgusting actions coming to light, I can't imagine that at some point that, that they're probably going to look into possibly retranslating all of Dragon Ball, which I guess, you know, personally, I feel that um, a lot of the translation for the Dragon Ball series, well, I don't think it's bad, I think is spotty in a few places. You know, you can you can obviously listen to, I know the Konzenshu podcast has done a very thorough read of, of the Dragon Ball manga, and they go through pretty extensively sort of the visisms uh, that take place in the translation of that, but... Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not even just again. I I don't want to say this as oh well. I hope my favorite manga could get a new translation now. But it's like I just I hope that whatever this guy has worked on, I hope Viz refrains from using in the future. Like yeah. like I don't want this work. I don't I don't want this guy to have any more work. I hope he rots in jail because he's obviously a fucking terrible human being. So <sighs> I don't know. I I honestly I, I don't. It, this this is a very hard story to talk about, and I was going to bring it up on the last episode, but m- mostly due... Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> I mean, m- mostly due to time and the fact that, I don't know, I just felt like the both of us should be on here to kind of talk about this. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm so, like, I'm so lost in my own train of thought right now, because it's like... Again, I'm still kind of reeling, so it's it's kind of hard for me to kind of focus because it's like, wow, like who would do, who who would who would do who would do shit like this? 
Like, who... In what world is this okay? Like, why are people terrible? I don't understand it. Sorry, I'm really trying to keep from, like, just ranting at this point. I'm trying to stay as focused as I can. And obviously, I... Sid, I, I'm sorry if that was sort of a sort of a gut punch. I'm sorry if you weren't yeah, prepared I for that. I read the article at all, so I, I did not know uh, yeah. was the details of this. I like when I said earlier that uh, what news could be more uh, awful than uh, the Watsky thing. You know, I didn't realize this was legitimately more awful <laughs> in so many ways. Um, <sighs> God, this guy also did the English adaptation for Ron Mahath. God damn it. Oh, Why? that that's pretty terrible. Yeah, let's let's just hope that whatever this guy has worked on for Viz, Viz just scraps entirely and like and I I can't imagine what like cuz I know um I forget for sure, but I think uh, Marlene uh on Twitter mentioned how she had read through because i think she's working on that new um i think yeah the yamcha uh reincarnated manga yeah she's working on the release for that and i guess she had like read through i i guess mostly the entirety of like viz's dragon ball manga and like you know made sure to like i i guess what whatever lines they might have re like used in that spinoff like she she made sure that like i guess the the dialogue and the translation was as close to the original like viz edition as possible so like i wonder i i wonder i wonder how far she is into that into the release of that whether at this point like viz will tell her like hey you know maybe you shouldn't use that or if they're just so far into working on that series in particular at that point where it's like we can't just work on this thing from the ground up like i don't know uh, i don't know if Wiz will go through the effort of retranslating all the dragon ball i think maybe the most they would do is like remove gerard jones's name from the books prop that honestly it'd probably yeah. be easier for them to retranslate 42 whole volumes of the series yeah um as preferable as that could be and if you know with dragon ball it could use a better translation or at least a more consistent translation uh i mean like just realistically it's i don't expect this to uh retranslate the entire series but like removing his credit you know <sighs> at least they could do that yeah uh, but I, I think I legitimately don't want to talk about the story anymore because, no. yeah, it's it's disgusting and I hope the guy rots in jail. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. I don't really know how to pick up after that. Thanks, Colton. But uh, let's try and get back into some positive news because there is things to celebrate about the manga industry. Even though there's so much depressing crap happening, you know, there's still... Still things to be positive about, still things to celebrate, uh, still things to look forward to. And if you're a fan of Grimgar, you can look forward to its author, Ao Jumanji, appearing at Anime Expo this year. He, Jay Novel Club has announced that they will be hosting him uh, as a guest for this year's Anime Expo. And uh, he'll have a panel during the convention. So, 
you know, if you're going to Anime Expo this year uh, and you're a fan of Grimgar, you can look forward to that. Anime Expo will take place at the Los Angeles Convention Center from July to July 8th with a pre-show event on July 4th. So get your tickets. Yeah, there you go. So if you're a fan of Grimgar, um, definitely go uh, go visit the author if you like his work. Mm-hmm. And now let's talk about some awards, because awards are always something to be really excited about. And the first set of awards we'll talk about are the 22nd Tesco Sama Cultural Prize Award, which uh, were announced recently. And coming in with the grand prize was Golden Kamui. Yay. Golden Kamui has been nominated for the Tesca Cultural Prize for three years, but this is its first time winning. And uh, I'm sure it's incredibly well-deserved because Golden Kamui is a great manga, uh, and people really love it. So uh, great that it won the Grand Prize. But also uh, a cool series that I've been hearing a lot about that also won a prize is Beastars by Paro Itagaki. That won the New Creator Prize. Mm-hmm. And it seems it's it's like a it's a world with anthropomorphic you know animal get dudes. There's like carnivores and herbivores, uh, and like it's just about their lives. I think you could probably draw a comparison to Zootopia in terms of the premise. I've just heard a lot of hype about it from the Manga Machinations podcast and also elsewhere. Hopefully it will get licensed soon because it's getting a lot of buzz. So Yeah, I've seen like Maxi tweet about the series every once in a while. And from the little bit I've seen it, it looks like the kind of thing I think I would really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. A special prize was also uh, awarded to Tetsuya Chiba for his contributions to manga over the years and so you know that's great as a fan of Ashida no Joe like I'm happy that uh, he's still winning prizes mm-hmm. uh, but speaking of awards Sid yeah uh, a big awards for the American comic book industry is coming up the Eisner Awards and they have recently announced its nominees for the best works in uh, the comic book industry. And specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, their nominees for the best U.S. edition of International Materia Asia. So this includes titles from Japan and other Asian countries. It's not just limited to manga, but there's a lot of manga that has been nominated for this. In addition to that, Jiro uh, Taniguchi has received a nomination for the Best Writer-Artist uh, for Furari and Louis Vuitton Trial Guide Venice. And uh, this is a posthumous nomination, but it's cool that he's been nominated for this uh, the Best Writer-Artist Award. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Go Tanabe's uh, HP. P. Lovecraft's The Hound and Other Stories, which is also uh, nominated in the Best Adaptation from Another Medium category. Uh, we have Akira, which is also nominated in the Best Archival Con- Collection Project, uh, Comic Books, and Best Publication Design categories. Uh, we have Robert and Dice Toomey's The Damkeeper, nominated for Best Publication for Teens ages 13 to 17. And then the five manga that are vying for best U.S. edition of International Material Asia are Ferrari by Jiro Taniguchi, Golden Kamui by Satoru Noda, My Brother's Husband by Ginguro Tegame, Otherworld Barber Volume 2 by Moto Hagio, and Shiver Junji Ito Selected Stories by Junji Ito. Hmm. All great titles that are 
like excellent that they've nominated and so voting is open to all comic book industry professionals until june 15th and then the results will be uh, announced in the gala award ceremony on the evening of friday july 20th at comic-con international in san diego mm. personally i'm really hoping that uh, my brother's husband wins the award mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's my favorite of the uh five though I do need to read uh, Ferrari and Otterworld Barbara, so I hear good need things, to check those out. I, I hear good things about uh, Moto Hagio's work, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess just to move on to our next piece of news. Um, so, just to start from the beginning real quick, I guess if you haven't found this out by now, there is a new Twitter account, an official Twitter account for The Promised Neverland, and you can follow that at yakuneba underscore staff, that's Y-A-K-U. N-E-B-A underscore staff. Uh, so, like I said, it's an official Twitter account for The Promised Neverland, launched by Shueisha, and uh, that was launched on the 22nd, so I guess about a week ago at the time of this recording. But uh, soon afterwards, um, apparently, actually before that, on April 20th, there was a certain domain name registered online, a certain domain uh, by the name of neverland-anime.com. That's pretty much confirmation that The Promised Neverland is going to be getting an anime at some point. So I'm excited. Unfortunately, not much else has been, uh, I mean, this, is, this isn't this is even really an announcement of, hey, it's getting an anime, but people had found out through the grapevine that, hey, this domain was registered. So, I mean, if, if this isn't for an anime adaptation of The Promised Neverland, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's obviously clear that we, we're going to be getting an adaptation at some point. Uh, again, we just don't know when or who's going to be who would you know who's going to be animating it at all. I know people are spreading rumors about certain studios and whatnot, and I feel really bad for Yonko Productions. People are like, "Hey, Yonko has said this thing. Uh, he totally confirmed that the Promised Neverland is getting animated by I don't know a Madhouse Productions or whatever." Um, I probably shouldn't even say that jokingly because somebody is probably going to like take that and run with it. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, so I'm excited. It seems like uh, Shueisha is really taking the initiative to really um, to, to really promote the Promised Neverland. Uh, it's obviously, I'm sure it's doing very well for them. Mm-hmm. I haven't been keeping up with like volume sales or whatnot, but I think last time I checked it was it was doing at least like... I want to say like 600,000 copies or something. I'm not sure. I don't want to just throw random numbers out there. But no, yeah, um, I'm excited for an anime of The Promised Neverland. I think it's something we both have been excited for. And hopefully something will come out of that in the next year or so. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll really blow up once it becomes an anime. Like everyone is anticipating like how it'll turn out as an anime. And like, you just know that everyone's going to be talking about it when it does. Because they're already talking, everyone's already talking about it. As a manga, mm-hmm. just imagine when, like, the broader spectrum of people who watch anime get to experience it. I know some people disagree with me on this, but I really do think that I think I would most like to see Tetsuo Araki attached to an anime for The Promised Neverland, because I, I think he would do a great job with um, adapting the source material, but... I, again. I don't think he's the best fit because Tetsuo Araki's style is to be bombastic and over the top and to like emphasize spectacle and have characters screaming all the time and all of that. But Promise Neverland to me 
is like a dark suspenseful story that like needs to have more like quiet moments of dread to really be let the psychological elements sink in so in my opinion there just needs to be a director who can capture that but Tetsuo Araki is a director who like goes for schlock who goes for spectacle and like bombast and I don't think that's the promised Neverland I think the promised Neverland is more of a quieter series in terms of how it develops the mystery and then when you have the big horror moments those are an even stronger shock because the suspense has and the quiet dread has been building up so much especially in the uh Gracefield arc honestly i can't disagree with that that's honestly a very good point i didn't even really think about it like that yeah i don't know i wish i i wish i had an idea for somebody who was like good at that kind of like more quiet more subdued suspense horror kind of thing but i can't really think of anyone off the top of my head who i know personally um yeah i don't know like who would be the best fit i think that chiaki khan could do a good job based on higurashi because higurashi does have that good moment of like switching from moods really well and like playing up dread and suspense really well Mm -hmm. but that's like the only person i can think of on the top of my head so for all i know there could be someone who is a better fit but we'll just have to see like who will be in charge of it and what studio will handle it i think that if it plays to the manga's strengths uh, i think it'll just turn out really well so i'm really looking forward to it i'm just really hoping whoever is going to be tasked with adapting the promise neverland i mean i know it's really hard i it's probably too much for me to ask to you know to just be like oh i hope they can really capture posica's art well enough i'm sure it's that's gonna be really hard to recreate on a, on a television anime uh workspace budget whatever you want to call it but i hope the anime can look as good as it can be i just i just want this to be a good adaptation but uh, speaking of anime adaptations sid yeah, another anime adaptation I'm looking forward to is uh, Bloom Into You, uh, the Yuri manga that I really like by uh, Neo Nakatani. And that is getting an anime this October by Troika uh, and directed by Makoto Kato, uh, known for directing Beautiful Bones, and Juki Hanada, who wrote the scripts for Sound Euphonium, Love Live, and A Place Further Than the Universe is supervising and writing the scripts, hmm. while Hiroaki Goda uh, is doing the character designs. His previous work includes Amagi SS, Love Election, and Chocolate. Hmm, that's interesting. It seems like they got a pretty good staff for this uh, for the series. I I guess uh, as someone who hasn't really seen a lot of this series in particular i don't know it looks like all the elements are there i think Mm -hmm. i don't know that much about the director and character designer but troika did recreators which was a really good production and juki hanada wrote some pretty damn fine shows in sound euphonium and a place further than the universe so i feel confident that the scripts will be really good and the show will look really nice Mm -hmm. but uh let's see so we have some live action adaptations to talk about some uh some some hollywood uh, live action adaptations of anime which is interesting so in case you did not know Lionsgate is planning a live action Naruto film I don't know if we've talked about this on the show at all I feel like we might have but I don't really remember so uh this movie in particular is going to be directed by Michael Gracie who is responsible for uh movies like The Greatest Showman 
I think that's a pretty recent film, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it just came out last December. Okay, yeah, that just it just sounded really recent. So essentially, um, I don't know if I really want to go through the whole quote, but Gracie revealed essentially that uh, his staff is still working on the script, uh, mostly because he wants to make sure that the work has the approval of Masashi Kishimoto himself. So I guess just to kind of read a bit of the quote, uh, Gracie said, quote, I don't know if it'll if it will be my next film, to be honest. You know, Kishimoto, who created the original series, he's just a genius. So many Hollywood adaptations of really popular manga series just don't get it right. And for me, what was really important was that if I was going to do Naruto, I wanted to actually work with Kishimoto and get a script to a stage where he would look at it and be excited about realizing it because no one knows the world better than the person who created it. So I appreciate his initiative in really wanting to sit down with Kishimoto and like really go over his vision of the film, you know, with him and make sure it's something that Kishimoto himself is willing to put his stamp of approval on. I really like that. And it seems like, you know, Gracie is somebody who knows all too well that most live action adaptations of anime, uh, mostly in the West with Hollywood and everything, you know, he he's he is aware of the track record of um of these kinds of things. So I'm really glad that uh he is um kind of looking out for um for the fans here. He really wants something that uh you know will actually be good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that he is going to get the approval of Kishimoto before they go ahead with this film, you know, and having him be so involved in the project because one of Dragon Ball Evolution's greatest failings is not, you know, sticking with Akira Toriyama's vision or having him involved in the process heavily. So I'm glad they're paying respect to Kishimoto's vision. And the world of Naruto. Which, the weird thing about Dragon Ball Evolution is that I'm pretty sure there was a quote from the director where he was like, oh yeah, I went through all of the manga and all that. So it's like, it's really weird that, uh, <laughs> considering, like, that was an actual, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, considering that was an actual thing that, like, he emphasized, they're like, yes, I I went through all the manga or whatever, that, you know, c considering the liberties that that movie took, uh, I don't know, it's just a weird thing all around yeah but supposedly m night Shyamalan was a big fan of avatar but uh look how that movie <laughs> turned out uh but yeah gracie seems like the kind of guy who like again he, he really wants to make sure that you know this movie will actually be good and it seems like he's not gonna move forward with it until he has he has a script that he can he and kishimoto can be proud of which is good mm -hmm. so i'm glad that progress is being made on that film and that it'll turn out really cool uh, unfortunately another jump related film adaptation might not be happening anytime soon mm. because recently director alexandra aja uh has said on a podcast called postmortem with mick garris that he's no longer working on the planned live action adaptation of uh buchi tarasawa's space adventure cobra because even though you know he film was pretty deep into pre-production at lionsgate a regime change happened in 2014 and and, like the staff didn't believe in the film the new staff that came into Lionsgate and especially because the budget was so high at 130 million the project was like put on the back burner and so 
They tried to continue to work on the film even though it was delayed. But then Guardians of the Galaxy came out in 2014. And so studio execs were like, well, Guardians of the Galaxy was pretty much the twin of Cobra. So Cobra would just be like a ripoff of that. And then when Star Wars Force Awakens came out the next year, like that finally put the caboose on the entire project because there are these two big blockbuster space-faring franchises with a similar tone to what this Cobra movie will be. Let's not even try and take a name that not many people recognize and try and make it as big as Guardians of the Galaxy or Star Wars. You know, let's not even try. Which is, to me, is really weird that Lionsgate would be like, oh, there's these two other big space-faring film franchises right now uh why why bother make our own when well yeah let's let's not add any competition yeah why not uh try and capitalize on the fact that these two other things are successful and have this similar thing but that is unique enough to also be cool and like also get audiences interested cobra the character is super awesome he with his cigar his unique look the freaking psycho gun the freaking space laser cannon on his arm and, and hell like you know the the 80s are a big thing that people like to capitalize on and yeah you co- can play co- that cobra, up cobra still looks 80s as hell like i feel like there's some aspects of cobra that like you know if lionsgate wanted to like they could still like take advantage of and capitalize on i feel yeah cobra has great characters a great setting it'd be perfect uh, like if you want to make a guardians of the galaxy style film to compete with that i mean you could do it with cobra but i guess i don't know i guess lionsgate has a different perspective a different priorities i mean on, on on the other hand like i wonder if that was just something they were afraid of like people you know doing too many comparisons between the two films or it was like i wonder how much similarity it had to guardians of the galaxy because as much as i love guardians of the galaxy it's honestly those are probably my favorite marvel movies mm-hmm. and like in a world where like you know this cobra movie was finally finished and was finally released in theaters i feel like i would want something a little more different than guardians of the galaxy or like you know like i'm sure maybe there could still be a few similarities but like i would personally want something i mean again this is all just speculation i'm mostly just assuming but like assuming it's as similar to guardians of the galaxy that you know lionsgate is claiming it is to be i'm hoping that if there is ever a chance for this thing to get off the ground again i'm hoping that like it tries to go for like a slightly different i mean i don't know it could still be like a fun space adventure but i hope it's not completely the same in tone i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah i mean it's a great space comedy uh and it has a lot of cool characters and like a really fun story so it'd be perfect i mean if you don't want to do like the space quest element like that the first arc was and like the animated film adaptation from the 80s was uh you could um you could do like the the death ball arc that like which the new uh french produced anime is going to be about like hmm. that that arc is amazing that might be the best part of cobra you could do that as a as a movie you could like <laughs> a, you, you could do like a, a weird space dodgeball movie i'd i'd be into it yeah it's like a weird combination of rugby and baseball okay you clearly it, but it was it was pretty epic yeah can, can you pretty can, brutal too can, can you tell i haven't read cobra <laughs> Yeah, uh, I have watched Cobra. I, so. I, I yeah, I, I need to watch Cobra because it totally looks like something I would be into. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Mm, but yeah, that, that's a shame that they just kind of gave up on it. Like I don't know, I would have loved to see what this final film was like, though. Yeah, apparently Aj also visited Buchi Terasawa 
you know, to discuss the film with him, like discuss ideas with him. So, you know, he was also trying to pay respect to the original creator's vision. But I don't know. Hmm. Uh, wow. I guess it's too bad. I am yeah. sad. Yeah, that's sad. But I guess just continuing our um, conversation of like live action anime. Um, this time, a new live action adaptation of Mob Psycho 100, a Japanese live action adaptation, uh, will be coming to Netflix. It looks like there is a uh, North American release date for that. The live action adaptation of Mob Psycho 100 will be premiering on Netflix in the US on May 22nd. I haven't seen much from this other than the poster. So I don't know, like, I was just thinking today, like, I wonder how this adaptation is going to look. Like, I'm actually, I'm actually really interested in seeing, like, how this will turn out. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if the special effects in this live action adaptation can match up to the animation of the anime. Yeah, that that's going to be a tough act to follow. Yeah. Mm. But it's another way to experience the story. So for Mob Psycho fans, like, this will be a fun thing to binge. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll probably check out a little bit of it. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I hope the special effects are just slightly, at least slightly better than what we got from like the Full Metal Alchemist movie. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to close off our news for this episode, let's talk about a magazine that's celebrating their 50th anniversary. No, we're not talking about Weekly Shonen Jump. We're talking about another magazine, Shigaku Khan's Big Comic Spirits, what? which was also first published in 1968. And this seinen magazine has been home to several titles you might be aware of, including Maizana Koku, Goodnight Poon Poon, I Am a Hero, Crying Free Freeman, Area 88, 20th Century Boys, and Birdie the Mighty, just a few of the big names that they've published. And so, to celebrate the legacy of Big Comic Spirits, uh, there's going to be an exhibition at Kyoto Manga Museum to relive the magazine's biggest highlight. The exhibition will be called the Big Comic 50th Anniversary Exhibition, A Half Century of Big Footprints, and it will open on June night and run until September 2nd. And it will feature production materials and panels from the magazine's catalog on display in six different areas. Works that will go on display include Osama Tezuka's Swallowing the Earth, Takao Saito's Gogo 13, Shitar Ishinomori's Sabu no Ichi Torimono Hikai, Fujiko F. Fujio's Minotaurus Nosara, and a bunch of others from big name mangaka really celebrating the legacy of big comic spirits and all the talent and great series that have been run in it and the museum will also hold a talk event on the opening day with manga reader shinichi ishizuka and akira saso of shindo and maestro fame and uh, visitors need to grab a number ticket from inside the museum on june 9 starting at 10 a.m to gain entry into this uh, talk session so this seems like another really cool like event to celebrate like a magazine's like great history and and, uh, you know, I definitely like to visit it if I could go to Japan in the summer, but probably not going to be likely. But, you know, <laughs> between this and the Shonen Jump exhibitions, like, you know, if you're going to Japan in the summer, you got some really cool things to visit if you're a fan of these things. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you uh, if you happen to be visiting these exhibitions and uh, want to come on the podcast, just uh, email us. We'd, we'd love to have you on. Yeah, please share like your experiences with us because that'd be a lot of fun to hear talk about but that's about it for the news sid you want to just move on to our first jump start why don't we go ahead i'm excited and looking forward to it let's go
And now we are here to talk about all the miscellaneous latest jump starts, one shots, and other things that we um, haven't had the chance to talk about for one reason or another. Um, so I guess uh, we're just going to go right ahead and talk about our first jump start, uh, which would be Jujutsu Kaisen by Gege Akutami. Jujutsu Kaisen is essentially about this kid named uh, Itadori, who is sort of a member of this uh, occult club in his school. And, um, you know, he unfortunately suffers a loss. He uh, his grandfather dies. And, uh, you know, but before he dies, you know, his grandfather tells him like, hey, you should help people or whatever. And he's like, "Okay, I'll go do that. And um, he basically gets mixed into this whole thing where like, you know, his classmates get a hold of this curse object or curse artifact, whatever you call it. Uh, that turns out to be one of many fingers that belong to a really, really terrifying demon. And, uh, you know, one thing leads to it, leads to another. He eats the finger, and uh, <laughs> now he is somewhat possessed by this terrible demon. And basically from there on then, like the like the main goal, I guess, of the series is he gets he gets recruited by uh, the Jujutsu Academy or whatever, He's given two choices. One, he can either be executed and basically dies along with the demon he's being possessed by. Or two, he collects all the other fingers of this demon to basically seal them away so that uh, he can't be resurrected. And then he dies. And, and then he dies, yes. And that's essentially the premise of the story. And um, I don't know, Sid, what, what, what were your thoughts about the first three chapters of this series overall? When I first read them, I was not very impressed because we've seen supernatural shonen titles very frequently. They are kind of the most common type in this genre, I feel, these days. So it's very hard to impress. Rereading it for the show tonight, I have a little bit more appreciation for it in terms of the characters. It's still very simple in terms of the elements that has been laid out, but there is something charming about Yuji's determination to help people, and I do appreciate some of its quirks, like the principal and his weird dolls that dance and fight, <laughs> and they have goofy designs, so that was very fun. So I can appreciate those things, but there are also derivative elements. The teacher that Satoru is training under, Satoru Gojo. Uh, he is basically Kakashi in terms of his personality. <laughs> I the mean, one yeah. difference is that his eyes are covered instead of his mouth. Oh, that's, so. that's that, that, see, that makes all the difference. <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, he is also part of a three-man squad because there are two water first years in his group, so... It's a four-man squad with the teacher at the head, and then he has two guys beside him. One of them's a girl, and one of them is a black-haired, rivalish character, though his personality is exactly like Sasuke's, so... And and they're gonna all go on all kinds of ninja, I mean, exorcist <laughs> missions. <laughs> yeah. Although, to be fair, Naruto didn't do many missions uh, with his team back in the original series. When you think about it, the only mission they did was the Zabuza mission. 
And then after that was tuning exams, and then they never did a mission with all three of them together again. <laughs> at least not in the manga. Yeah, at least at least not on screen. Um, yeah, I don't. I I think I feel the same way as you. Where it's like, I, like as I was reading this, I was kind of like, yeah, this this isn't really anything like I hadn't seen before. Um, honestly, like I by the end of the first chapter, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to keep reading because like it just. It just didn't really ever fully grab my interest at all. It never, like, I thought it was okay, but it never really, and I, like, I never felt like, oh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta read more of this. Um, though the one thing that really kind of stuck out to me, and I don't know, I don't know if this is intentional or if, or if this is just some kind of like, um, I, I don't, I don't know what this is. So, so basically the, the thing that really stood out to me the most, I think is this sort of reaction that Itadori has towards death in general. Because mm-hmm. the the whole scene with his grandfather dying in the hospital, it's not really like a super emotional moment or anything. It's very, it's played off, like, it's not played off as like a gag or anything, but it's just kind of like, oh, well, my grandfather died. I don't really have time to like think about this. And it's like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, the, if this was intentional or not. But I, I kind of like the idea of Itadori kind of having this character arc where, like, you know, maybe at first he doesn't really understand the gravity of death. And then maybe later on he he starts to kind of come to this realization like, oh, yeah, death is like so. So this is so this is what death is like. Oh, I wonder if this is what my grandfather felt. I mean, like he kind of has an inkling of that during like uh, during his first fight with like the with like the giant tick looking monster thing in the school or whatever. Like he kind of has this sort of like existential crisis kind of thing where it's like, Oh, well, like what did my grandfather feel while he was dying? Like, I don't, I don't want to die. Like it looks scary and painful. Like I, I wonder if that's like maybe a character arc that he's going to sort of go back and forth with later, like throughout the series. I don't know. I don't know, just something about that I thought was kind of interesting, but I, that was really the only thing that I think kind of stood out to me about the series in particular. I feel like he came to a closure with that arc within the first chapter, that he didn't really process that when his grandfather died, but when he was confronted with the possibility of him and his friends dying, impending that, then he learned to fear that in a certain way. But I really did like that scene where his grandfather passed away because it's such a quite understated moment where I really like how he puts it is that it's his first time experiencing this kind of thing. So it hasn't really sunk in for him, but he knows that his grandpa wouldn't have wanted him to just, you know, mope around. So he's trying to stay strong for him. And it's very subtle art, but you can see that, you know, he does have like, tears in his eyes or like he is a little tearing up he's like staying strong while he's filling out these documents but you know he's still really processing it so i really like that moment and just that entire scene with the grandpa in the hospital in general because it was just you know a good sequence of dialogue and conversations about help people in your life it's the right thing to do and you know, use what you can do, your strengths to, you know, help people. And so when it's your time to go, you're surrounded by others, you know, don't end up like me and like be all alone and no one really around me. So like, I think that was a really nice message there. Uh, and in that scene also, there seems to be seeds of like a 
potential plot points. Like the grandpa is trying to mention something about Yuji's parents, but Yuji cuts him off before he can really say anything. So that could be something the series goes into at a later date. Otherwise, I think what I liked about uh, the series in terms of one other aspect of it is the dynamic between Yuji and Sukuna, the demon that he ingests. Because it's a very Ushio and Tora-esque relationship, I feel. Because, hey, here's this cre- demon- demonic creature who wants to kill him, but he's forced to play nice as they collect these objects. And they have to go around and kind of be like friendly with each other, or at least as friendly as possible. Well, that, you know, the demon is secretly plotting to, you know, get rid of Yuji when he gets the chance. It's like very, I, I like that kind of dynamic, that dynamic of reluctant allies and one of them is trying to kill the other. So uh, I do like that aspect of it. I think that could be a fun dynamic. Uh, Sukuna doesn't get to show that much personality within these first few chapters, but I think that it could develop into a fun dynamic if the series continues onward. That's an interesting idea for a dynamic, but obviously within these first three chapters, we don't get like a whole ton of that. But I'm sure like they'll develop a relationship or something later on that'll be a little more, um, a little more interesting. But yeah, I mean, learning more about Sukuna could be interesting because they lay on some tidbits of lore here that he has four arms, two faces, and he was once a human that existed over a thousand years ago and was called the King of Curses. So they could delve more into Sukuna's backstory and like what made him become what he is. And it could turn out to be like a Torah situation where it was a story of a guy who just went bad and became a demon through pretty tragic circumstances because of a greater evil. So that could be interesting. Mm, I was going to say, maybe it'll go like the Yu Yu Hakusho route and uh, Itadori will turn out to be a descendant of Sukuna. <laughs> yeah combine those two ideas why not (laughs) yeah but i i think overall i i don't really have much else to say on jujutsu kaisen other than it was okay like i didn't think it was like terrible or anything but again it's it's nothing i haven't already seen before yeah i like the art and i think the monster designs are plenty creepy but it is very hard to sell me personally on another supernatural fighting series that has a quest collection element because we've seen a lot of those before. And right now, I'm not sure what it's really bringing new to the table because I'm reading it and I'm just seeing a lot of things that's reminding me, oh, this is kind of like Ushio and Tora. Oh, uh, this is kind of like... Yu Yu Hakusho, you know? I'm just thinking about that. So, I really need to be wowed by, oh, cool, this is a neat original idea. And there's only, like, one thing in here, and that was the hospital scene, where I really felt like that. So. Yeah. Personally, I I probably wouldn't read this week to week if it kept going, but... Uh, maybe if it lasted a little longer than, say, like, 40 chapters, then maybe I would, like, take a look at it and see how it's doing. I read everything in Jump, so, of course, I would read it if it were added to our Jump, but I'm not sure that will happen. To be honest, from what I have heard, uh, just in terms of general reception, 
this was like the least well-received among the three jump starts of the last round. Like, people were the least impressed by this one. And I'm not really sure how well it's doing in rankings or how they're placing it in the table of contents right now. But it seems to me that between the three, this one probably has the least chance to really hit it big, I feel. Yeah, I feel like this is something that's probably going to last at least like like less than 20 chapters before it gets prematurely cut. If Boze Beats ended in 14 chapters, and Boze Beats was a series that had a lot more interesting elements, I felt it had really gorgeous art. And if that couldn't impress readers, then I'm not sure what Jujutsu Kaisen is doing differently that will. Unless somehow it gets a lot of like really, really younger readers who just, like, will just read anything. <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps, but, yeah, I just don't think that, you know, jump readers are look really that receptive to Supernatural fighting series that aren't, like, presenting something really interesting because the market of them is just so oversaturated. And we have, like, a lot of long-standing titles like Blue Exorcist and uh, Twin Star Exorcist that are, like, already so popular. So just to move on to our next jump start... Today, we're going to be talking about Noah's Notes from uh, Haruto Ikizawa, who has had a few series in Jump before, I think. Uh, Kurogane was one of them. Uh, I believe this is the same person behind uh, Mononofu that also had a Jump Start debut in the Viz Shonen Jump. And I think there's one other series that I'm probably forgetting, maybe, I don't know, off the top of my head. Um, but uh, this this artist has had a few series in Jump at this point, so... It's interesting to see this person come back. Um, so essentially, I I don't I don't know how much I want to give away about Noah's notes because I don't want to accidentally spoil anything. But essentially, we have this this young high school girl named uh, Kotobuki who basically just has no interest in school, let alone history uh, in particular. Her grades are failing. She just doesn't care about school. She just wants to she she just wants to live in the moment and have fun and. And all that. And she accidentally comes across this neat little rock um, in an alleyway. And, you know, she posts it on her on her Twitter and whatnot. And I'm sure it got a lot of likes. <laughs> uh, but then the post gets taken down. And uh, she's basically visited at school by a very eccentric archaeologist. And so basically he takes her hostage um, in order to, you know, because uh, he, he's basically offended by her, like distaste and disinterest in history and he takes offense to it as somebody who really loves history and is very very passionate about his um about his work uh, it's very over the top he flies in with a helicopter and smashes into the window to break into her classroom in order to take her away and you know she's like <laughs> couple it stories literally up. like holds a gun to her mouth and it's yeah it gets a, it gets a little extreme almost um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, essentially, you know, just, just to kind of, again, I don't want to give away too much, but essentially the long and short of it is 
you know, of like uh, the more that Kotobuki hangs out with Noah, she kind of starts to become at least a little more interested in just history in general and everything. And, uh, you know, she she starts to learn about this huge conspiracy that uh, she becomes she starts to become like sort of involved in uh, because of Noah's research and everything. And um, it leads to a lot of really like earth shattering revelations that I think I would personally put on the level of Astro Lost in Space if our listeners have uh, have read that. So I'm sure Sid, did you get that vibe from reading this at all? Because that's the kind of vibe I got. It's a very similar twist to the one in Astro Lost in Space. I don't know if we want to spoil it. I guess we're going to avoid it. But considering the premise of the series is predicated on that, basically they are trying to figure out what happened in the past and prevent it from happening again. And it is a conspiracy that is being covered up by a lot of different parties, but... Noah and his group, all expert specialists in their field, are trying to uncover this mystery and prevent whatever calamity might threaten humanity in just a few short years in 2022. And so Mirai, she doesn't think that history is very important at the beginning. She thinks, oh, what does that have to do with my future to know history? But what I like about the series is, uh, you know, she learns that, yeah, it's important to learn about the past in order to guide your future. And Noah chooses like a very great example of, hey, you are planning out your future based on your mom's history. You know what made your mom happy in life. And so that is why you are aspiring to the same thing. I really like that he kind of breaks down history on a personal level like that in order to teach her what is so important. And what I really like about this series is that much in the same way with Dr. Stone and how Dr. Stone is making kids see, hey, science is really cool. Learning about science lets you do all these awesome things. Noah's Notes is basically doing the same for history and saying, hey, if you learn about history, you'll know really important things that can help you out in life. And I think that's a really cool thing, a really great message and a nice thing to predicate a series around on top of this really cool conspiracy angle to this plot and you know this uh, apocalyptic thing they're trying to stop and like all these different things that they're trying to study and figure out what is going to cause the impending apocalypse trying to learn the secrets of what happened in the past in order to figure out what happened and how to prevent what is about to happen and that there's a, a competing organization who is apparently evolved in every great and terrible happening in human history that is a religious organization called the Knights Templar it's like there's a lot of really cool elements to this series. It's got a really cool message. I really do feel it has a lot in similar with Dr. Stone uh, in terms of what it's setting out to do and like connecting to, hey, kids, get interested in this thing because it's really cool. And I'm kind of hoping, like with Dr. Stone, that will be appealing to readers in Japan, especially young readers. And it will allow the series to find its audience and continue forward because I... Whereas where you impressed at it, it's a lot of fun. It's really funny. 
Uh, and um, again, all those things I said before about, you know, it's themes and messages and stuff I really like. So yeah, I mean, I like uh, Haruto Ikizawa a lot. I mean, Mo- I really enjoyed Mononofu from what I read of it. Uh, and I think, like, he's a talented writer. So I'm hoping, you know, this will be his My Hero Academia. He's had, like, two series that didn't really last a while, didn't really find their audience. And maybe with Noah's notes, you know, he'll have his My Hero Academia in a series that, hey, third time, hits it big with a series that's super popular. Yeah, um, Noah's notes really hit me in a particular way in that I feel like I really related to Mirai in that, you know, I've mentioned it probably a little bit when we talked about stuff like We Never Learn, you know, and like when I was in high school, like I, I I was never really a huge fan of school, like, you know, I basically went to school because I felt like I had to. And because, hey, my friends were there and I get to see them every day. So that's cool and all. But, you know, like. There were there are very few like classes and lessons that I took in school that like I was actually interested in learning and kind of like with Dr. Stone where like, you know, science was probably my worst class. I probably didn't like on average, I would maybe get like a C in science like, you know, but at the very least, like, you know, my science classes had that advantage of, oh, hey, we can, you know, do all these really cool experiments and dissect all these animals and stuff and you know so some of that stuff was fun i at least got the like science was a little more hands-on even though i couldn't like even though i didn't always get like straight a's in science obviously um history was probably one of my hardest subjects i guess because i just uh because like at least with my classes it was mostly just you know this teacher just droning on and on and on about all this stuff that happened however long ago and i just don't care because it's like like i like i totally related to me ryan that oh this is never gonna like help me in real life like what am i gonna get out of this like i'd rather just like i'd rather be on my phone doing whatever like i totally i totally relate to this character in in particular and so that's that's one of my favorite moments in noah's notes you mentioned earlier where it's like you know noah explains history in a way where like you know, that's interesting to her. And, you know, because because she mentions how like this, this guy is actually showing me like how history it can be important to me. And isn't just like, oh, well, it's important because it's important. Like, you know, how they kind of show in the beginning of the first chapter where, you know, she's constantly confronting her teachers about like, you know, trying to ask him like, hey, like, how is this stuff going to be important to me? Can you answer that? And they're just like, well, it's important because it is. And, you know, <laughs> she's obviously she's obviously tired of that attitude from all of her teachers. And, you know, Noah's sort of important to her and that, you know, again, she's the one he is the one person who's been able to paint history in this interesting light and show how it's important to her. And it actually, you know, whether she wants to admit it or not, actually makes the subject more interesting to her, which which again, I thought was, which I thought was a really smart moment and was something that I felt like I could really relate to personally, again, as somebody who wasn't really a fan of history. Like really nowadays, like, I I don't know if this is bad of me to say, but like, it's, it's only really like recently as like the older I get and the more I I guess the more adult I become that I'm actually interested in learning stuff, I guess. I again, this school, like I said, just really wasn't my thing at all. Um so I wish series like Dr. Stone and Noah's Notes were published 
around when I was in high school. Because I think if I think if I had these growing up, I probably would have been. I would have been at least a little more interested in the subjects that I had to learn in school. Like, I think it would have had a positive impact on me. I think that's what makes it so great is that, you know, a lot of students feel like how you felt, Colton, in that they weren't interested in these subjects and they didn't understand, like, how they would benefit them in the future, what relevance they had. And so they didn't care about them. But... We have series like Noah's Notes and Dr. Stone explaining, hey, these things are cool and important to know because if you know these things, they can help you do these really cool things that can make your life a lot better. And I think the way Noah's Notes describes history and why knowing history is so important by applying that personal connection was just super smart and really perceptive of like what intrigues uh, students and especially like young teenagers and like what they value and like what they would want to know and like really has an understanding of like how to present this as interesting to younger audiences and like make them engage with like a subject that in school might be taught just too you know straight and didactic for them to really get invested in but you know by applying like a personal narrative to the history then you you can get someone really excited and into it and for me as someone who has always loved learning about history and that was like my best subject and I've always loved to learn. I really enjoy seeing a manga like Noah's Notes be able to articulate why learning about history is cool and important in such a fun and engaging way. And the same thing goes for Dr. Stone. And I like learning things. So having these two series, you know, be great pieces of entertainment with really intriguing stories and characters on top of, you know, teaching you some interesting stuff. Dr. Stone more so than Noah's Notes so far because it's focused on a fictional history rather than, like, real historical facts. But all the same, I really like the sentiments of both, and that really appeals to me. And I'm hoping, just like with Dr. Stone, again, that Noah's Notes will hit a nerve with younger audiences reading Jump and that can propel it to some success. Yeah, because it would be a real shame if this, you know, got canceled because I, I really do think this has potential to maybe hit it big or at least strike a nerve with younger audiences. Um, I don't know. I really just don't want I don't want to see this end because I really think the story can go. There's a, there's a lot of potential here for the story to go to some really great uh, really interesting places and I like I really want to see how everything ends because like that final shot in the first chapter you know a lot of the narration in that first chapter is basically her narrating the events of the story like after everything has happened and you can plainly see that from like you know the the very last shot of the first chapter you know with um with the camera kind of like zooming out of like the room she's in and you could clearly see that like everything around like there there are ruins around her so like you don't know if like you you really legitimately don't know whether they like stop this catastrophe that's going to happen or if like like you you legitimately don't know what what's going to happen and so like i don't know that really makes me interested in seeing like what the end game of this series is so i don't know if this will get picked up for the viz jump but again i hope this is something that maybe 
if it continues, then maybe further down the line that it'll get picked up by Viz for like a for like you know a volume release or something. Because, man, I felt the exact opposite about uh, the series that I th- than I did like Jujutsu Kaisen, where it's like, man, I gotta, I want more of this. Or <laughs> it's like, you know, I was pretty much hooked by the end of the first chapter. Like, I I need more of this. I need more of this, and I need more of Act Age stat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like Act Age, I, I was like so intrigued by the series that I was really excited to read more. And, you know, I'm really hoping we can read more in the future. I think that it's very unlikely that any series will be added to the Viz Jump until something that's already running in their ends. So I'm not expecting Noah's Notes to get picked up. But I, again, I'm hoping that it is successful in Japan, so that eventually we will get volume releases. Yeah, we want more Noah's notes. I like the, that. That's that should be recommendation enough. Yes, basically. <laughs> so next on our list of jump starts, uh, we are going to be talking about Ziga. Story by Roku Osano and art by Kentaro Hidano. So essentially, um, Ziga is a it's it's a kaiju manga. You know, if you've ever seen any like Godzilla movies, Gomera movies, Mothra, whatever. If you've seen Rampage, I don't know. <laughs> it is a kaiju movie. So that's like that's like the long and short of it. But if you want like I guess specifics, it's it's about this kid who basically he he keeps having these like really vivid dreams about this giant monster attacking his city and um it basically turns out that these dreams are prophetic in that uh eventually the you know this monster known as Ziga eventually shows up and destroys his town and, and it, unfortunately a, a losses are are suffered i don't know if that's a sentence um he he loses he loses a friend or two in, in the destruction of the city and um like essentially he joins up with this organization that has basically been tasked to study the monster and stop it um and th- that like that's essentially the plot from there it's a pretty simple story i think but like i don't know i don't feel like i have much to say about this one other than i'm totally okay with you know reading a kaiju manga week to week and I want to see Ziga do more cool shit. I like the idea of a kaiju manga, but Ziga didn't necessarily enthrall me. I think that it has to do with how it's being paced and also the character of Ko himself. I think that Ko is just too perfect right now in terms of being talented at just so many things being able to use the flash wave gun right off the bat just having all this real natural talent and then we skip forward all the training stuff in chapter 3 to the point where now he's just gonna be going off to fight and battle and that training stuff could have been really interesting and it could have helped build a character you know have him struggle a little bit early on but I just feel that things are just going too well for this kid. And I mean, in terms of him becoming a soldier and becoming a really good soldier, like he seems already very skilled and capable. I mean, obviously his situation is not very happy. Uh, he lost his mom. He lost his 
girlfriend, supposedly. For all we know, that arm isn't hers. Uh, I could totally expect a twist happen where she shows up <laughs> later down the line. Maybe, may, maybe like she is like some somebody steals the charm that like he gave her, and that was the person that got vaporized. That would be the funniest shit. Yeah, perhaps. Or she just <laughs> lost that arm, but she's still alive somewhere. Who who knows? Maybe. You know, so we'll see about that. We didn't see a body for sure, so we can speculate that Sarah could come back at some point. There, But yeah, I mean, just I'm not that into Ko as a character because one of the things that, you know, really made Attack on Titan stand out, and Attack on Titan is the series I was thinking about the most while reading this, is that Attack on Titan starts out with such a desperate situation. Because humanity has been called to just a few select numbers all living behind these walls. Or at least that's what we thought at that time. And so when the Colossal Titan appears and wrecks everything and all the Titans are coming in and like totally devours everyone in that town. And then like the sheer horror and desperation when like Aaron's mom is being eaten by that Titan. And like he's just screaming out and it's like. He watches it right in front of his eyes, his mom being eaten. And so right at that moment, you can feel, oh, my God, this is such a fucked situation. Holy crap. And you can be in Aaron's shoes and like why he's so angry and furious because he could do nothing to save his mom. And he watched her get eaten, couldn't do anything. And like his entire home was destroyed Everything is going to hell. And then, you know, when he goes into training, you know, he sucks at it at first. He's like, not one of the best soldiers at all. So, you know, he has all this rage and anger, but he's not a perfect warrior. He's not a perfect soldier. And he loses so many people around him. And like his first real battle with the Titan, he himself gets eaten. Like, I'm just thinking about that and comparing Aaron to Ko. And like, Aaron started off from such a lower point and because he started off with such a lower and more desperate point it was easier to get behind him and like because the situation was just so much more dire it was also like easier to be enthralled by like the tension and horror of the series but here with Ziga you know Ziga destroys the city but like I didn't get as much of a sense of like Ko's connection with the city it what I didn't feel the the relationship with the mom as strongly and, like, the sadness and horror when the mom died as much, like... Yeah, that Widow, felt... Some, somehow that kind of felt out of nowhere, like, oh, I guess she's dead, too. Yeah, I mean, because he wasn't even there, you know? The mom died when Zika did the beam thing, and so he just visits the home afterwards, and, you know, there's no body to speak up, so, you know? he, he And his reaction just isn't as, like, desperate and insane, even with Amagi, I just didn't feel it was... I mean, I thought the connection, you know, was there. I got it. But it was just not as powerful. It didn't, like, feel like a punch in the gut. So, it's just... Ko right now is just not really getting me into it. I just don't feel like the situation is looking as bad for humanity in general right now in the world as Zika. Because, yeah, Zika's wrecking stuff. But, like, it seems that... They can keep it on the down low for now, so it's not gotten that bad yet. 
And it doesn't seem like Ziga is going to like go off to destroy all of Japan just yet because, you know, a, mu- a bunch of months pass where I guess they're not fighting Ziga at all while Ko is training. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there'll probably be more kaiju in the future. I'm sure one of the big twists is going to be the kaiju are actually people. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's this there's this mysterious girl in a, wearing like a big hat with a flower on it and has an umbrella who's like asking oh, yeah. Ko, what, what, was her deal? what are you seeing, the future or fate? And it's like she's a mysterious character who's probably connected with Ziga in some way. Uh, so, you know, there's probably going to be an organization involved. It's just, you know, so... It's like a bunch of stuff that's probably going to happen, but I just don't feel like... I mean, they didn't really set up a conspiracy thing like to be as... Uh, to, right now, you know. Uh, and, you know, the, I just don't feel the setting is as interesting. It's just... I don't know. I just... I just am not, like... I like the idea of a kaiju manga, but, like, I don't feel like the ideas presented here are that interesting. Like, compared with the original Godzilla and being a metaphor for, like, Godzilla is representing nuclear weaponry and its consequences and, like, how awful that situation is, you know? It's it's not... And then Shin Godzilla, year 50 years later, is, like, about, you know, Japan's uh, non-militant... Uh, stance and like its place in international politics and like how it's dealing with nuclear fallout as after the consequences of the Fukushima disaster and all, all this like bigger political ideas you know that that's what like makes that stuff stand out and makes it interesting and then you know, I don't know what Ziga is really saying outside of being oh a giant monster, right? it's wrecking shit but like I don't know. It's just the Ziga isn't that cool yet, I guess, <laughs> to like just work in a Pacific Rim kind of way where it's like, oh, yeah, cool monsters. Let's let's beat them up. So I don't know. I, I think a lot of people really like Ziga. At least that's what I saw. A lot of people really like Ziga when the first chapters came out. But like with each successive chapter, I was like less interested in it. I'm I, I think I, I totally understand where you're coming from, because it's like. I guess if you still want to keep the Attack on Titan comparisons going, like there's the, the that level of like desperation isn't really fully there. Yeah, like 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 the stakes aren't as high, even though Ko clearly suffers loss. Like you don't really feel that much. I mean, you know, I was kind of shocked when like yeah, you know, like 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 that moment where he finds his supposed girlfriend's like se- severed arm, like. I thought that was kind of shocking, but like you said, th- there could easily be a twist there where it's like, oh, she was alive all along. Um, but like, you know, I guess the moment of face value I thought was shocking. And then like, I don't know, like, I guess um, the, the way I saw it, like, I since I kind of knew what the ser- series was going to be before I like before I read it today for the podcast, like, I guess, like, because I saw it as like a kaiju thing, like, I, I kind of had this expectation where it's like, you know, I'm not a big authority on like Daikaiju movies or whatever, but I, I know about those kinds of movies enough to where it's like, okay, so the human characters aren't going to be as interesting because they're not entirely the focus. You're kind of here just to see monsters destroy shit and do cool shit. 
And so that's kind of that's kind of the mindset I had going in reading this. And because of that, you know, I was I was okay with the characters being sort of simple or not as interesting. I think Ko could be a little more interesting. It is it, there is this kind of thing where it's like, oh, he's perfect at everything. Like he could draw well and and swim well, and it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't really care. So in that aspect, I think he he could have struggled a bit more, I guess. But like again, personally, I'm like I know with these kinds of things. I mostly just expect, hey, as long as the monster destroys stuff, I'm totally fine with most things. Um, which, I mean, come on. I like I couldn't help but like just spaz out when he like uh, starts throwing laser beams out of his hands and starts disintegrating people like like that. That's the kind of stuff where like, you know, if you have that kind of stuff in your manga, I'm you pretty much have me like it <laughs> like it. There are some series where it doesn't really take a lot to to keep me interested. Like I'm totally OK with just cool shit happening for the sake of cool shit. But I also agree that, yeah, like as, as far as like an emotional connection goes, I wasn't really feeling it. I'm I'm hoping we get to see Ko like I guess suffer more of a loss later on, or just just see him struggle more. Like it would be nice to not see him, you know, just be the perfect soldier or just always so composed and stoic all the time. Like it would be nice to see him again, just just struggle more. I think it would make for more like. It would make for a more impactful story, I think. Mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd have been fine with the human characters being simple if the focus wasn't so much on them, because the focus is squarely on Ko and him co- joining this organization, realizing he has these special powers and stuff. And Ziga is not that. It's not in the chapters that much and honestly, just, just just like some of the godzilla movies <laughs> yeah and like those aren't very interesting godzilla movies uh, like the ones that focus that besides the first one in shin godzilla like of the ones i've seen like the ones that are about the humans and not on godzilla as much are just not as interesting when they're just like fluff and the human character's story doesn't have something more interesting behind it or that human cares aren't as interesting and like i'm not feeling that here with ziga at all like you know it if ziga was more about ziga the creature and like we saw more of it and like it did like way more impressive stuff when it was destroying that city like sure the blasting a beam out of its hand it's fine but like i don't know it just came to the city it just uh you know destroyed some buildings uh, of course, the military couldn't do squat to it. Yeah, it's pretty standard. But like, what's really cool about Ziga? You know what? Well, how could it wreck that city in a really interesting way? I just didn't really feel like it did anything that impressive that I, you know, couldn't get out of like a Godzilla movie where there was a ton of crazy shenanigans and like. In the first movie in Shin Godzilla, when Godzilla does something, it's horrifying, you know? When it's just, Godzilla's destroying something, like, you're, you feel shocked and horrid, it's, like, disturbing. And then, like, in other Godzilla movies, like, the, the ones for the kiddies, it's like, Godzilla does wacky stuff, and that's fun, you know? But it's not, it doesn't do it. I don't feel like it goes far in any of the extremes. It's just kind of like, oh, it's destroying stuff, but it's not over-the-top 
in either direction in a way that'd be really, really engaging to me. I don't know. I, I thought I thought the disintegration beam was pretty cool, but that, I mean, that's just me. I mean, it is kind of cool that that soldier guy's head explodes, you know, that is cool. But like, I need more of that. You know, that's the first yeah. chapter. And then chapters two and three is just co. And then they they just fight this weird shark tooted creature that's like the things they fight and all you need to kill but it's not you know it's it's just whatever it's not ziga it's not a kaiju <laughs> it's just some monster it's a mini ziga yeah it, it's <laughs> but, not but even not that really. it's not even a dragon thing so it's like uh well it's, it's a creature yeah on it like i i think your i think your criticisms are all totally valid that being said I feel like personally, I could see myself either like if this if this were to get picked up in Viz's Jump, I would probably read it week to week, but also probably get tired of it after a couple of chapters, depending on how the story goes. So I could either see myself doing that or again, letting I would rather let more chapters of this build up if it continues at the pace it's going. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't dislike Ziga, but I just was not very impressed by it. And it did kind of disappoint me because I thought the idea of a kaiju manga would be super cool. I like uh, Bono, the director of the military group that, you know, he joins because he has a good character design. I like that his sunglasses are meant to hide the fact that he has like really tired and scary eyes. That's kind of fun. Uh, like his assistant, who's like this really serious professional soldier you know that's that's kind of nice but i don't know i've co himself just not that interesting and ziga was not that cool uh to me uh, honestly i felt that between the three this was probably the one i was least interested in i don't know really, really even compared to jujutsu kaisen yeah, I, honestly, because I, I kind of got won over by uh, Yuji's, like, shonen optimism, shonen, like, a spirit of, like, wanting to help people and stuff, you know? I, I also liked kind of I, some of the stuff in there, you know, the dynamic with Sukuna. You know, even though he was a Kakashi ripoff, I did like Gojo. He, he was kind of fun. So, you know, I, I thought... I don't know. I just was more interested in those characters and like the ideas that series was presenting than what uh, Zeke is currently presenting. But you know that could change in the future. We'll see uh, if these continue- series continue forward. Hmm. But I guess overall, I thought Ziga was okay, and I would probably maybe read more of it. So Sid, I I think we could all I think we could both agree that Noah's Notes is the best one, though, right? Oh yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, without question oh man yeah um but but i think overall this round the jump starts was i thought was interesting um definitely a lot of like a, a lot of variety between the three yeah i mean they were all pretty different and they all had a unique premise so they all stood out in their own ways um i get for most people jujutsu kaisen stood out the least but I kind of liked it more than Ziga, but again, I thought all of them had good elements to them. Um, I am interested in seeing like how they fare out, but the one I'm rooting for the most is Noah's Notes. Me too. Uh, that yeah. definitely stood out the most to me, and uh, kind of like Act Age a few months ago is like something that I'm really, really hoping finds an audience and hits its stride, so I can read more of it. 
I didn't feel as strongly towards Noah's notes as I did Act Age, but I still am really, really excited for it. I really want uh, Haruto Ikezawa to have a real hit on his hands, so I'm I'm really pulling for it, uh, and I, I hope it does well. But uh, yeah, I guess we can move on from uh, from our jumpstart discussion because uh, we actually have one or two uh, new one shots that also came out in the time we've been uh, kind of on break or uh, haven't gotten the chance to do some of these. Um, so uh, the first one we're going to be talking about is uh, Inishie no Horobimon, or Ancient Ruin Crest, from Hiroshi Shibashi, the creator of Nura Rise of the Yokai Clan. And um, yeah, so basically, uh, th- this series, thankfully, could be summed up in its uh, in its two-page spread, basically ex- explaining the premise of this entire uh, one-shot. I don't, I think I said series, one-shot. I meant to say one-shot. Um, so, like, the-, the long and short of it is, essentially, like, like, like the mythology of this, of this one-shot, I keep wanting to say series, um, pretty much dates back to, like, ancient times where, like, you have all these different powerful clans that are, um, that are basically decorated with their own, like, crests or whatever, their own family crests, uh, that, you know, summon these creatures or whatnot, and basically when, when the guardian crests, uh, like, when the, when the clan crests die, or I guess when the person uh, ha- who owns the crest dies, like the master of the crest dies, uh, you know, like the crest basically, you know, goes out of control. And it's basically up to, um, I forget which clan, like, th- there, there's, the there's one other clan. The Yasuo clan yeah. created the yeah, guardian yeah. crest, and then the Hoshi clan sealed the ruined crest, the crest that turned Pharaoh. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, essentially you have, you have this girl from the Yasuo clan, um, who created the Guardian Crests, and then uh, then you have this one kid from the Hoshi Clan who, you know, is basically helping her collect the sealed crests, and there's this whole thing where, like, uh, like they don't get along because, you know, uh, the girl is, uh, is uh, treated a lot better uh, than the kid because she's from the better clan, and they don't get along because he's constantly trying to help her, but she doesn't want help because she's better than him, and I don't know if you could tell, but I I really wasn't into this one shot that much at all. <laughs> I didn't care for it that much when I first read it, but I appreciated it a lot more when I reread it. Uh, in general, though, I didn't think it was that strong a one shot, just because in my mind I kept comparing it to Twin Star Exorcist, because this idea oh my God, yeah. of two clans... Who and one boy and one girl from the clan team up to fight, you know, demons and seal them away, exercise them, you know, that's pretty similar premises. And then Twin Star Exorcist just like has more, you know, emotional weight behind its first chapter and then more interesting ideas it's presenting and then explores later on in the series. And then with this one, I didn't really feel like there was a really more interesting idea behind it beyond hey there's these crests uh and you know they're feral and then these guys are teaming up and this you know this kid from the hoshi clan you know he's kind of a mess up like he's not that skilled yet but you know he's trying really hard and he has a lot of potential and eventually he can probably meet that potential 
uh, you know, it's it's very much focused on, you know, hey, this character can grow as these two are working together and, uh, you know, they'll become more skilled and they'll uh, get all the crests, I guess. But, like, the crests themselves, there is, I guess, some interesting idea in there in that they were worn by maidens and then they those maidens died in probably very tragic ways. And so when those maidens died, like, and the crest turned feral... The emotions behind them when they died influence like how dangerous the crest is. So it could deal a lot with that, perhaps, if it were ever to, you know, expand into a series. But like looking at this as a one shot and like what it's presenting in terms of like ideas it could explore. I don't know. I didn't feel I feel like, yeah, there's an obvious direction for the series to go if it were to become a series. But nothing in this one shot really felt like there's bringing anything new to the table that I couldn't find in an existing series, specifically Twin Star Exorcist. Because again, the dynamic between Rokuro and Benio in Twin Star Exorcist is more interesting. There's like a more fun tension in the fact that they're engaged and they hate each other at the beginning. So that leads to a lot of great comedic hijinks. But like Arma and Chiroha, like they bicker a little bit and like Chiroha is very, you know, serious and competent and stuff. So she doesn't really respect Arma that much. But then she later recognizes, oh, this guy might have potential. I'll try and make as most use out of it as I can because I guess in this situation, you know, I, I do need the help. So, you know, I don't know. I just didn't think it was that they were like that compelling in this first chapter these characters so or rather one shot but yeah i, I don't know I, I again it's just i like the art you know but the setting the plot of it i've seen it before in twin star exorcist and it's just not as compelling as it, it was in there see i actually thought the art was sort of cluttered in a few places and i thought it kind of just for for me, I I don't want to say it made it hard to read, but it it kind of made it like a it, for me it kind of made it like a chore to read. Like yeah, there were some pages in the beginning where it's like there's a lot of gags and stuff that kind of go like back and forth, and I don't know. There there were some pages where I thought Shibashi kind of adds a little too much at one time. I agree with that. Like there, the first few pages are like a lot of gags, and like they didn't read as gags because just too much information is just being crammed in that you can't really process it and let anything that's being told to you sink in uh yeah there's just too much visual information along with you know a bunch of text that's just like it really clutters up the page and so when i was first reading this you know my eyes were like wandering and like i just wanted to flip through it because i was getting bored and then i when i reread it the second time was actually like making the effort to pay attention and like you know absorb everything that's happening i had more appreciation for the art you know just as art but i still think that the information is too cluttered in terms of like how things are laid out and in terms of how things are paced so there are some not neat standalone images i feel and i like the character designs decently enough they're not that distinct still but like you know, they're fine. Uh, I, I like Shiroha's design the best, I guess. It just, I like her eyes, I guess. But 
Uh, I don't know. Like from from the little I have read of Nura Rise of the Yokai Clan, I like I I I think I can say with confidence that the art in that series is probably a lot better. Perhaps uh, I haven't read Nura, so I couldn't compare. But yeah, I really I really want to read Nura at some point and maybe cover it on the show because that's that's a series I remember. Like I remember a lot of I've, at least a few people liking. I don't remember it being like a super popular series, but it it had its fans, so I wouldn't mind maybe checking that out at some point. But yeah, I I just I just I don't know. Like I just really wasn't into this one shot at all. It just didn't really stand out to me, unfortunately. Yeah, I enjoyed it more when I reread it. Like it's a fine enough story, but again, Twin Star Exorcist is in the back of my mind while I was reading it. And when I'm constantly comparing it to that series, like this falls short just completely. And it just reminded me, man, I really should go back and continue reading Twin Star Exorcist. I enjoyed that quite a bit. I've I've seen a bit of the anime for I think I watched at least like six episodes of that. I I feel like I would probably like it more reading it. Yeah, the anime a lot adds a lot of filler stuff. Uh so mm, of like, course. It's kind of like a Black Clover anime situation, but worse <laughs> because Twin Star Exorcist is a monthly series, so they don't even cover as much. Mm, okay. But I guess now we can just move on to Build King from Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro, the creator of Toriko. And I'm really glad to see that Viz has finally picked up a one-shot from Shimabukuro because he's been doing a, a, a ton of one-shots since Toriko ended. So hopefully maybe we can see more of those down the line because um, I think I like this one. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. It's kind of doing what Toriko did with food, except it's doing it with houses. Houses are the most important thing in this world, and you can use houses to do crazy thing and and fight. And, you know, instead of, like, cooks fighting, you're having carpenters fight. So, and it's even you've got an evil organization who wants to monopolize all the houses in the world, just like <laughs> how the gourmet organization wants to monopolize all the, all the food. So... Pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm pretty much convinced that this, like, I feel like Build King and Toriko's world are pretty much the same world. I feel, yeah, because he eats a puffer whale in this chapter. <laughs> he eats the puffer whale and he, like, he's like, oh, the puffer whale is poisonous. So you got to spit out the poison after you eat it. And I find that hilarious. Like, he knows the puffer whale is poisonous, but he didn't do, like, the any of the steps or the knocking to, like, get rid of the poison. He's just eating the poison puffer well and then just spitting out the poison. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess Build King might take place in the world of Toriko. Or, or that was just a reference, probably. But it would be funny if it did. I I feel like there's a good chance it, it probably does, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I thought I thought this was just a, a fun a fun little story. Like, I... I I really like Kugi and uh, and his talking house. Uh, the talking house was like the best thing ever, and it could turn into a giant robot, and it's and it's so cool. Like there's there's so there's so many like cool things in this in this one shot, and I just I don't know. I I just thought it was fun and wacky, and it's it's pretty much classic Shima Bukuro, but with houses. Like yeah, I I feel bad because I don't I don't know what else what what much else there is to discuss. I just I just really enjoyed it. <laughs> It was really funny. Shimabukuro said after Torgo that he wanted to return to more comedy, and this was definitely more of a comedy, but it was also blending a little bit of action back into it. So I guess after his purely gag one-shots, now he's back to a more comedy action blend with Build King. And I like 
a lot of the jokes. Like, I like the banter between Coogie and 2 by 4 his house. Uh, there's this really funny moment very early on when 2 by 4 is welcoming back uh, Coogie and he makes, like, a, a sex joke. Like, oh, or do you want to make yourself at home inside of me? And Coogie just has this blank face and just ignores the comment. And then they go, <laughs> and then 2 by 4 is upset that he ignored it. So he... It, he tries to pry Coogie to answer the question, and then it just goes on from there, where they just, you know... and It just goes on for an entire page, and it's the yeah. best. And then Coogie wants to adorn him with some a jewel called a crap stone, and so they argue about that for a while, and it's just... They just argue for a couple pages. It's just hilarious banter. Uh, so I... Two by four is hilarious. I think that's, like, the best character and design in the chapter. Like, Shimabukuro's background designs and, like, you know, architectural designs have always really been impressive. So, you know, that was one thing I really liked revisiting when reading this one shot. It's like seeing, you know, his feature design, seeing, like, his environments, and seeing this house, which is really detailed and, like, really cool looking. And, and when it transformed into, you know, its humanoid battle form, it looked super awesome. I, my favorite moment was when, you know, this house has been so comedic for most of the chapter. And then it gets flipped on its side when, like, the build union attacks. And so after they flip it back over, it has this really pissed off, angry expression. And the way Shimabuko can draw it look, a house looking so angry and have so much <laughs> character and expressiveness in that house's design to, like, make its front look like a face and like have like <laughs> be so expressive it's just so awesome it's just so funny just so cool and even before that like when we're first introduced to two by four like you you could tell just like how much personality this house has it's not even a it's not even a person like you could tell like how much care shibabukuro really takes in the drawing drawing this really overly animated house that like bounces up and down like it should be in a like in a like in a 30s black and white cartoon or something like it's just i don't know like <laughs> the 2 by 4 was probably one of the more he's probably one of shibabukuro's most entertaining characters Honestly, it's probably going to sound insane, but I would totally read a manga about a walking, talking house. No, I would love to read this as a series, too. Uh, I think that, you know, the characters are just so much fun. And the idea that this house can, like, turn into, like, a humanoid form to fight... And just in general, that the design is just so expressive. And, like, you know, there's potential for more... You know, houses like 2x4 that can also, you know, fight and stuff. And, like, that, it could be a really nice premise for a battle series. And just, like, it has, like, a good emotional core to it in, in the idea that, you know, houses are homes for people and they should be cherished. And it's just like how food in Toriko brings people together. The idea here is that houses bring people together and they're just, like, you know, a place of comfort for communities, for families. Like, the comedic, like, gag villains in this chapter, like, well, they didn't stay villains, but, like, uh, the Knicker and Boxer, like, uh, they, they steal houses for their, you know, community back home because their community is poor. And so, you know, they take houses back and people are super happy to, you know, have homes to live in. 
And, you know, it's just really nice. Uh, that sentiment. And I, I like this idea. I think that it does have serious potential because it has, like, a strong core to it. And because the designs are so good in... Like the character of 2x4 is just so unique and really interestingly designed. Like, yeah, I I just really enjoyed it. Like, Shimabukuro is really talented and creative. Mm, yeah, like, I think that's the that, that's a good mark of a one-shot is, you know, whether you want more of it after you're done reading it. And, yeah, I if, if this were to turn into a full-blown series, I would totally read more of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, contrast it with Inishi... No horror, horror, B or whatever it was called. <laughs> we just talked about it, but you know, I could obviously see where that series would go if it became a series. You know, because that one shot laid out like a direction very clearly. In contrast, Build King doesn't, but I'm way more intrigued by Building because Build King just presents so much more interesting elements. So I'm like, yeah, I want more of this. I don't know where it would go as a series, you know, if it were to become a series, but like there's just so much potential here in these ideas as compared to Inishi no Horrible Inishi, I'll just call it that. It's as compared to Ancient Sealed Crest, where like, yeah, you know, you have a clear direction for a series laid out in this one shot, but like you didn't really do anything that really made me interested in following these characters and this idea if it became a series. Mm-hmm, pretty much. But yeah, I'm really glad that they were able to bring over this one shot. I enjoyed reading more of Shima Bukuro's work, and I would enjoy to read more of it when they continue to bring over stuff, or if he does a new series sometime soon. Yeah, I'm just glad they're bringing over more one shots to the Viz Shonen Jump in general, because that's I, that's something I personally request request every time I do the reader survey is, hey, you know, like, because, you know, again, like I realize there's not always going to be enough room to just keep bringing over more new series. Like, I know that's not always in the cards, but, you know, at the very least, like, you know, if you, if you want to bring us like more new stuff, you could at least, you know, if, if you have the time and you have like you know, the manpower for it, you know, I, I, I would like more one shots. And I'm glad it seems like we've we've gotten at least two of them, you know, in the past, like couple of weeks here. Or so, so I hope maybe this is a trend that continues. Because um, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of like, there's a lot of like one shots that like, you know, not just run a jump, but like probably run on like, like jump plus or jump square, you know, I, I think jump, like jump giga, whenever, whenever that's not busy being canceled or whatever. I don't know what's going on with jump giga. Um, seems like it just kind of comes in and out whenever. Um, but oh no, yeah, like, like they, like Shueisha has a lot of other magazines they could pull one shots from. So, you know, I, I know they can't do them all the time, but you know, every once in a while, like, hey, here's a here's a new short little story that people might like. Like, I I just like seeing more of those. Yeah, I always enjoy seeing one shots. They're nice reads to have because they, you know, present some interesting ideas, and you know, it's always nice to you know have like new self contained stories to read. You know, because with uh the jump starts obviously we only get a small snippet of the story that they'll tell regardless of how long they'll be. But, you know, with the one shot, it's one and done. Uh, and you can enjoy a nice 50 chap, 50 page story uh, just in one sitting. And that's nice.
Oh boy, that was a lot of manga we covered. Nice little assortment of stuff. I like getting to talk about just various small manga happenings and all that. Definitely an interesting round of jump starts and some um, some some interesting one shots there. One was definitely more interesting than the other. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think this was a despite some of the news. I still I think I still had fun with this episode. Yeah, the, the discussion of the jump starts and the one shots was a good pick me up after you know some pretty rough news we had to talk about, but. Over- Overall, this was a pretty good show, I would say, in terms of, you know, what we covered and what we discussed. Mm. I almost don't want to do this because I feel like every time I do, something happens and it gets delayed. But do we want to talk about what we were at least wanting to do with the next episode? I think we have it all scheduled out. So I think let's go for it. Let's say it. Yeah. So on the next episode of Manga Mavericks, uh, we are finally going to be getting around to talking about World Trigger from Daisuke Ashihara. Um, This has been something we've been kind of planning on doing for the past couple of months or so. And uh, it looks like we're going to be finally getting around to it. We have some ideas in mind for some guests we want to have on. Uh, We won't say here since uh, those aren't necessarily set in stone just yet, but we're working on getting some cool people to talk about World Trigger on because uh, between the both of us, we know a few people who are very passionate about World Trigger and would love to be on. Mm -hmm. So, Uh, yeah. them was definitely like oh my god yes thank you (laughs) so um we'll let you take a guess as to who that may or may not be so yeah i think next episode yeah we're gonna be talking about world trigger um i'm looking forward to that as somebody Mm -hmm. who admittedly dropped world trigger during its run uh Mm. but it's just kind of recently kind of picked it back up and kind of finally reading the stuff i i didn't get to read weekly when it was in jump which if you don't know at the time of this recording world trigger is still on hiatus unfortunately we're still waiting for it to come back but yeah i um hopefully i can catch up with its uh with its run pretty soon here by the time we get to recording that I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun discussion. I'm really looking forward to having the people we've invited come on board. And I think it's just going to be a whole lot of fun. So mm-hmm. I'm excited. But for now, we might as well just end the show. So, um, Sid, where can the good people find you? You can find me as Loom Ramayasha on Twitter at Lum Ramayasha and on Animation Revelation and my anime list under that name. Basically, wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha, that is me. I also write for allcomic.com. Uh, I do monthly reviews of new Dragon Ball Super manga chapters, and I have plans to do some graphic novel reviews pretty soon. And in addition, uh, I'm going to start posting up new episodes of Manga Mavericks at Movies again. What? Perhaps uh, quite a few dropping this month. We shall see. Uh But uh, there's a lot that we've recorded over the past year. And so there's a lot to come out. And I've been working on those. And uh, you should be seeing those pretty soon. If not already by the time you're listening to this. So look forward to those. I'm definitely looking forward to those because I I know you have a lot of them in the back burner. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) But yeah, so go follow all of Sid's stuff and uh, be sure to look forward to some new at movies episodes coming up soon, if not already. But um, as for me, you could follow me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I do a few manga threads on there. I'm reading a whole bunch of stuff. I'm sure you could find uh, I'm doing a thread on World Trigger as we speak. I'm reading other things such as like Toriko and Ashino Joe. Uh, just a just a bunch of stuff that I'm trying to uh, keep up with here. Uh, so if you want to 
basically uh, read my thoughts on whatever I'm reading, go follow me on Twitter. Again, that's at SniperKing323. I also host a few other podcasts such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. If you are a fan of Gintama and want to hear some talk on the um, discontinued English version of Gintama from Viz Media, you can go listen to that. Again, that's at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. Or if you want to listen to basically the same show but uh, but we covered detective covenant instead you can listen to one podcast prevails at one podcast again same same show except we cover a couple of chapters at a time of detective covenant slash case closed uh, so go listen to that i really like recording both shows but i guess as for all comic in general you can find more of our podcast at all-comic.com where we post every episode first uh, you can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore but if you want to just specifically follow my Mavericks. You want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks. That's where we uh, uh, keep you guys updated on the latest happenings with the podcast and our uh, progress on the editing episodes and whatnot. And uh, you can also follow us on mangamavericks.tumblr.com as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for, you know, the latest snippets of our podcast, including some of the news we talk about in our series discussions. I know um, Sid's been uploading uh, parts from our latest episode with uh, Bomber and Maxi, so uh, definitely go watch those if you haven't already. But I guess, uh, last but not least, uh, you can email us anything. Uh, what do you think about World Trigger? If you have any thoughts on World Trigger and you want to uh, send us those uh, questions or comments, whatever you have, as well as just what are you reading in general? What do you think about all the news we've been covering lately? Uh, you can email us anything about those and anything else at mangamavericks.gmail.com Com. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you call it, if you so choose to. That would really help our visibility on that platform. Uh, but I think that's going to be about it for the show. Again, good show today. And uh, we will see you guys next time for episode 48. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.